Greetings, Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own, and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 100, Revisiting Genesis. Yeah, what's happening, Gushy? He's leaping! Sadie said no, but Sam's leaping! He can't leap, we're not ready. Tell Sam that! Put him on! I can't, he's in the accelerator! Ow, ow, what do I do? Nothing, any interference could kill him! I'll be there in two minutes. We did it. Did what? I can't remember. I can't remember anything. Who am I? Where am I? I'll put the coffee on, Tom. Oh, boy. I don't even remember going to bed with this woman, whoever she is. And whoever she is, she's certainly pregnant. Ah! Who do you see in the mirror? You. Me? Everyone seemed to think it was 1956, and that I was an Air Force captain named Tom Stratton with a wife called Peg, and... One and two-thirds children. Okay? Mm-hmm. Who's that guy by the jukebox? The guy in the tux. A tux? In here? You don't see a man in a black tux standing by the jukebox? Am I dead? That, that's a good one, Sam. <laughs> you know my name. Oh, my God. You really don't recognize me, do you? No. Or remember the experiment? What experiment? My name is Albert. What are you? This is a a neurological hologram. It's an image that only you can see and hear. Created by a subatomic agitation of carbon quarks tuned to the mesons of my optic and optic neurons? You got it. Ziggy has come up with five different scenarios. Ziggy. Ziggy, a little guy with bad breath. No, that's Gushi. He programmed Ziggy. Ziggy's a hybrid computer. Hybrid computers and, and neurological holograms didn't exist in 1956. Only in theory. But this is 56. Well, it is for you. It is not for me. You're uh, part of a time travel experiment that went a little caca. You still don't remember our project? One end of this string represents your birth. The other end, your death. You tie the ends together 
and your life is a loop. Ball the loop and the days of your life touch each other out of sequence. Therefore, leaping from one point in the string to another would move you backward or forward within your own lifetime. Which is our project, Quantum Leap. You're in the imaging chamber. You remember. Vaguely, a uh, cavern somewhere. New Mexico. What year is it there? You'll find that out. If we get you back. If. Well, see, Siggy's theory is really, it's a load of crap. I mean, you gotta believe that God or time or something was just waiting for your quantum leap to correct a mistake. A mistake in time? Something that happened in the life of Captain Tom Stratton in 56, since he's the one you bounced out. Uh, once that's put right, you'll snap back like a pimp suspenders. Once what's put right? Tom Stratton was killed trying to break Mach 3 in the X2. If Ziggy's right, all you have to do is break Mach 3 and live. You hear that? It's the fuel, Sam. The heat is boiling the fuel. Shut him down, Sam. Shut him down. Eject! Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And today we kick off our retrospective of earlier episodes of Quantum Leap that the podcast has covered, but that they covered before we were hosts for some weird reason. Everybody's clamoring for us to go back to the beginning now that Mirror Image is finished. So we are going to start at the beginning with Genesis. Hey. What do we call this? Genesis Redo? Genesis 2.0? <laughs> Genesis the funny version. We make the jokes. <laughs> it's like we've tied the string together so that the end and the beginning have joined and uh... next we're going to ball it up and jump from one to another. <laughs> Quantum Leap Leap. Quantum Leap Squared. How wonderful it is to go back to Genesis, truly, like, especially yes. right after the ending. I feel like anyone who, like, binges a show they really love, and you go from the ending right back to the very beginning, it's like, ooh, <laughs> everyone's a baby again. Right, everybody's so different, <laughs> but the same. It's familiar, but not too familiar, but not too not familiar. Scott's got crow's feet. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I'm, yeah, I'm still trying to figure out how to brand these episodes. I don't know if we call them 2.0 or Mach 2. Mach 3 in the case of Genesis. Bing, ding, see what I did there? Uh, clever. It could clever. be Genesis Revisited. I don't know. Yeah, we'll figure it out. So we're just happy to have everybody along leaping for the ride. Leaping back? Yeah, leaping huh? back. Genesis. Huh? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> leaping back, the leap back. Audience, what do you guys think? <laughs> what, do you, what do you think it should, it should be called? I like the jokey, non-socially conscious version, as you said, Allison. I think back to the way Albie and Heather used to structure everything and how buttoned down it was and how they would have an expert speaking about, I don't know, stopping labor in an early pregnancy or, you know, flying we covered that one. Mach 3. Oh, no, you were talking about this. Okay, I thought you were talking about the eight and a half months <laughs> one. I'm talking about There was a here. plot like that in this one, huh? <laughs> they seem to really care. We just come on mic and dick around. No, you know what? <laughs> I, I, I think like we both have great styles. I love that they wanted to educate people and bring on experts. And, and I think it was like a, a really great format. And I, I like our format too. Like I think like it's, it's nice to be able to make jokes and analysis. And Yeah. That was the first podcast I ever listened to. That got me into podcasts. 
Um, I would say it's the second one I ever listened to. It's what got me into fandom podcasts and into podcasting in general. I wouldn't be on this mic without the Quantum Leap podcast. I mean, obviously. There we go. Yeah. So, yeah, different but the same. Yeah, I think it's great that we're different because it doesn't seem like we're doing the same thing again <laughs> that they already did covering Genesis. So, And I got to tell you, that, that's been my biggest fear going back and doing these episodes. But the listeners have asked for it. And I know that we had the idea of doing them randomly. So we're starting at Genesis because we put a poll up on the um, Patreon site um, open to patrons at any level to vote on what episode they want to see us cover first. And Genesis was in the mix and overwhelmingly it beat all the other competition out. So it beat thou shalt not. It beat thou shalt not. Oh. I, shocker, right? <laughs> no one wanted thou shalt not. <laughs> Give Jimmy shocker or thou shalt not go back to the future forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, uh, yeah, no one wanted it. Um, not even one vote for thou shalt not. Was it on the poll? I didn't look at the poll. Was it actually? <laughs> it was. It's going. I told you, and I'm going to refresh everybody's memory. It will be on every poll, even after we cover it. <laughs> oh, are you going to put that shelter? <laughs> uh, so far, people have asked us to go basically in show order. So I have a feeling that once no. I put the poll out for uh, the next episode, people are going to be picking Star Crossed. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Mm. Maybe we'll switch okay. it up. And if you out there are interested in voting on which episodes we cover next, you can do so at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast for as little as $1 a month. You will have access to those polls. So it's never too early to begin shilling on this show. That's the difference between us and Albie. Since we're starting at the beginning again, I know that we usually do initial impressions, but this is a special case to me because I'm curious to know before we get into initial impressions about Genesis, can you guys tell me, was Genesis the first episode of Quantum Leap that you ever saw? Um, let's start with Allison. Yes. I had a feeling that would be the answer for you, Allison, because I know that you approached the series after it was over, was it not? Was the series off the air when you when you first started watching it? Yeah, it was only like um Oh, that's right. Full of years like, back. She was like, uh, I don't two know. How I was going to say you were two when it was when it was on, right? <laughs> yeah, like, when it was, I wouldn't have known if I was watching it back then. <laughs> uh, maybe my dad was watching it. I don't know. He's into sci-fi, but um, no, I don't remember it ever being on TV ever. Like I, I never flipped channels and Quantum Leap was on there. Um, I'd heard the name before, and um, the name sounded uh, boring, so I never <laughs> saw it, and. Uh, yeah, so I started watching it um, because my husband, he's really into time travel stuff, and he loves Quantum Leap, so we watched that together, and uh, so I, I first watched it that way. I was familiar enough with the premise of it. Um, actually, my first exposure to Quantum Leap, uh, if you want to be technical, was a fanfic that was a crossover <laughs> with it, and I'm like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> <laughs> Which fanfic, though? What What fandom? Oh, it was it was She Wolf of London slash um, <laughs> uh, Quantum Leap fanfic. Uh, <laughs> you know what? It's good. I'll defend it. It was a good fanfic, um, but I had no idea what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah, so I watched it, and um, yeah, my first exposure to Sam is when he's leaping. And I thought he was just a big dumb dumb. I'm like, oh, so he's an idiot? Like, the first thing you see, he's like, arms out, like, yeah, I'm doing it. And I was like, what? Are you, what? <laughs> I think that's what I said. I was like, oh, so he's an idiot. 
And you kept watching. I know, I thought it was great. But <laughs> just what a, what a first exposure to that character. Like he just grinning like a big dum dum. <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. time travel. <laughs> it probably didn't help that when he opened his eyes in that bed, he didn't know his name or anything about himself. He's sitting there in a onesie with his hands out. <laughs> <laughs> like he just, he just looks like a big goober. <laughs> Wow, and you're like, one day I'm going to make a living talking about crap TV. So this, <laughs> well, I was already doing the crap TV oh, thing when I watched it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, there we go. I'm glad that you uh, turned around on it. Uh, maybe you didn't. I don't know. We have a whole show to go, so we'll see. But um, <laughs> how about you, Matt? Was Genesis <laughs> your first episode? Yeah, it was. Um, I I first saw it when I was ten uh, on a repeat run. The, after the season break between the first two seasons uh, in, in the UK, there was a rerun of Genesis immediately before Good Morning Peoria. So my first episode was Genesis, but then he leapt out into uh, Robin Williams, seemingly, <laughs> rather than a professor dropping his pipe. I feel like that's a better second episode to get into. It's, it's a more fun episode. It is. Yeah, it's a real lighthearted episode. It's just suddenly you you you're like you accept all all of that uncertainty of the first season is gone, and he's just there leaping, and we accept all the rules of it. But yes, uh, Genesis was the first one that I saw, but I was very young and uh, don't recall much of it except I must have enjoyed it because I kept watching. Did you just stumble across it, or was it something that you had intended to watch? No, uh, my mum had been watching the first season, so when she found out they were going to uh, repeat the pilot, she sat me down in front of it. Well, that's cool. She was good. She she got me into Doctor Who and Star Trek. Um, wow. All my nerdiness I owe to her. Laudable. Laudable job. Yeah. Ms. Dale. Thank you. And Red Dwarf as well. Most shows that I picked up midway through the run, she'd been watching since the start, including this. I guess you could say that I owe it to my dad that I saw Quantum Leap at all because... I was home from, I don't know if I've told the story, but it's apropos to retell it. If you've heard it out there, I'm sorry. I was home for a semester break from college. I think it was the summer. And uh, I was talking to my mom. I was in my bedroom and I was flipping the channels on the TV as she walked in with laundry or something. And I saw a shot of this guy, clearly a man in maternity clothes, walking <laughs> like he was pregnant down the street with this dude with a red fedora and a red jacket on. <laughs> and I said to my mom, "What do you? What is this? Do you know what this is?" And she said, "Ah, oh, that's that's like a time travel show that your your dad likes it. Actually, your dad watches it. I think it's called <laughs> Quantum Quantum Something Quantum Leap." I was like, "What time travel show? How have I, I, I'm the time travel guy? I'm Back to the Future man. How how have I never heard of of this? Like time travel was my favorite genre. So Genesis was certainly not my first episode. Mine was the middle of." Uh, eight and a half months, or nine and a half months, <laughs> and um, which one was it? Nine and a half months. That was eight and a half. Eight and a half months. Eight and a half months. Okay, how quickly we forget? Maybe I'm thinking of nine and a half weeks. So you know which, how pregnancies usually last, right? Yeah, but I was thinking. Well, was, they could was, be nine and a half yeah, months. Yeah, it could really be late overdue, term. That's because Sam was so super pregnant in that. So I'm thinking that maybe. Um, I'm sorry, Billy Jean was so super pregnant in that. Somebody was so super pregnant in that. I thought it could be nine and a half months. No, Sam. Sam was, uh, it's, it's a body leap. Sam was pregnant. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> we don't need to get into that. They established it was a mind leap. 
uh, <laughs> with some physical psycho synergizing, <laughs> uh, aka magic vagina. <laughs> magic vagina. <laughs> Yes. Uh, and you can't go wrong Sam's with magic, magic vagina. vagina. Yeah. That's what we call this new run of shows. Sam's magic <laughs> vagina. No one needs to understand why. Yeah. I'm sure that'll uh that everyone wants to see that on the uh, iTunes and Spotify and It'll get us more listeners than that time we were mixed up with Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> what is this? They're talking about magic vaginas. I wanted to hear about Han Solo. I wanted to hear about Boba fucking Fed. <laughs> Here's another nerdy thing, just to bring this back to Genesis. You know, the very first sound that we hear on Quantum Leap is the same sound effect they use for Knight Rider? (laughs) Knight Rider, yes. Somewhere, Rick Oakey said, hmm. (laughs) It even looks like the Knight Rider car. Like, Al's future car has got, like, the bar on the front, kind of like the Knight Rider car. Yeah, I have some questions about that right off the bat, but uh, just to bring it back to the initial impressions, I had not been able to see Genesis for years after I became a fan because it really wasn't available that I recall on video and Quantum Leap wasn't rerunning that frequently. I think it was just on the USA Network when it did start doing reruns. And that's when I saw most of the episodes for the first time, but it took me a while to even catch up in that rotation to see Genesis. So I was a dyed-in-the-wool fan. I was even writing my book before having seen a lot of season one. No, that's not true. Before writing Paradox, though, I had not even seen (laughs) most of season one because there was just no way to see it. You would have known it wasn't Yoshi if you had. Right, exactly. Yes. Exactly. So, yeah, I knew I was writing something before having seen the whole series. It was Paradox, not Foreknowledge. Yeah, I was going to say Foreknowledge. There were some deep cuts in that one. If you hadn't seen season one, I don't know. That would have been impressive. Yeah, no, I put as many deep cuts into foreknowledge as I could. So we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But (laughs) when I did finally see it, and this is, I wanted to get your guys' opinion on this as well. As a first episode, I thought it was surprisingly good and kind of bad, but bad in a good way. Do you think it's cheesy? No. What? So, like you thought Sam was a great big dummy in the beginning, Allison. Well, the but- first scene, is he seemed like a dummy. Through the rest of the episode, he didn't. I didn't, like, think that through the whole thing. It's okay. just, like, the, for a first shot, it's very jarring. Like, this is your hero. <laughs> it's amazing. It's such an atmospheric shot. I have no idea what you're on about. I love the guitar music playing, like the rock and roll. Like, yeah. and the music in this episode is striking to me because it it feels possibly the most '80s the show ever felt. But it's also very different than how it is later. I think because at this point, Velton Ray Bunch and uh, who did the theme, Mike. Mike Post. Mike Post. Mike Post, yeah. They were both doing music for the show. Mm. And I think a lot of Mike Post stuff was probably in this before. Um, they started using mostly uh, Velton Ray Bunch's stuff, and they decided, he was like, well, why don't you just do all of it? Because they're not really using a lot of my music. I remember that from his one of his interviews or something. Mm. Anyway, I think that's why it sounds different. And there's lots of different versions of the main theme song in the show, which you didn't hear as much. Mm. They did like a saxy, like... <laughs> oh, the end theme is beautiful. The end theme? Well, okay, we're going to talk. So that's, I want to go into that. I want to go into that into a second because I have a feeling you and I are talking about different versions of, of Genesis. But Allison, 
shame on you. As someone who started the show mid-run and took forever to see the beginning, the genesis of the show, no pun intended, to see Sam in that initial shot in the accelerator chamber actually leaping for the first time was just like geek boy thrill. You didn't see it. The first thing that you see, if you know nothing about Quantum Leap, watching it now, it's great because you watch it after seeing the whole show and you're like, here's the beginnings of all of these things, all these great little seeds that the show grew from. But if you know nothing about Quantum Leap, (laughs) you jump in and the first shot you see is Scott Bakula in a white onesie. Yeah. (laughs) With his hair blowing in the wind, you can see his panty outline because it's a weird onesie that's different than later with gloves on and feety pajamas (laughs) standing there. He looks like a big goober. If that was all there was, I'd agree with you. But you've also got Dennis Wolfberg saying, he's leaping. (laughs) And there's all the the wind machine and everything. (laughs) By the mustache guy going, he's leaping. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, because he doesn't say it like that. That. Alison, what? <laughs> it's so dramatic. Dennis Wolfberg was hired as a comedian as comic relief. I think it's fine to laugh at him. Okay. I I just I was I was happy to see it in context for the first time because of course that's the most iconic image of the series is Sam in the accelerator with his arms akimbo and his hair blowing and, <laughs> and all that. But akimbo is such a great word. <laughs> Yes. I love it. But um, when I got to see it for the first time in context, it was just like, it was a thrill. It finally put everything that I heard fans talking about and that I was seeing just as little snippets and cuts into its proper place. So I know it's a small thing, but for the kind of fan I was, any glimpse of something new back at the project was a thrill. And that to me was something new, even though I'd seen it a million times in the saga. So. And I, I was much the same way in some ways because yeah i i saw the pilot originally when i was 10 i wasn't really fully conscious of what i was watching i forgot a lot of the detail until it came out on home video uh which would have been i think while season five was airing in the uk uh maybe between seasons four and five so i i i had all that as well even though i had seen it i'd forgotten it so i i did get that um that thrill seeing it several years later for the the second time having become a fan of the show. So I get that. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. I, I don't disagree. I just think upon first impressions when you know nothing about the show, that's how it came off to me. I think it's great seeing it now. It's great seeing all of the stuff that, that they built the show on. The first note that I wrote while I was rewatching this the other day was, is this the best teaser for any pilot for any show ever? And that was a rhetorical question, just to be clear. <laughs> the answer is yes. Okay, Wait, here's what we get. Okay, guy in a tuxedo shows up. Yeah. We know this as Al. But when you don't know the show, okay, guy in a tuxedo, hitting on a lady with light up pumps, light up earrings. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. She is badly dubbed over for some reason. <laughs> all right. That, yeah. So he's he's in his super high-tech car with all this high-tech technology. Somehow is trying to hide this from her. I don't know why he thought she wouldn't notice. And then she sees Sam's super secret light-up mountain in the distance. <laughs> Sheet lightning. <laughs> like, I, I don't know what, the, what that is over there. I, I think that's that project. So the, there's some, they're doing some testing over there. I don't know. And then he takes her to the project after he gets the call from Gushy. Immediately, he's just going to take this random pickup lady to, to 
project. Sam's sleeping. They can revoice Ziggy with her voice. That's obviously where she gets Deborah <laughs> Pratt's voice from. Is Tina. And some people say there's still a top secret project out there. It's so great watching that back, knowing that's Deborah Pratt dubbing this random lady. What happened there? Were they just like, it's not sultry oh, enough? Is that what that was? Is that why she sounded so much like Ziggy? That was Deborah redubbing that? It's that, Deborah Pratt. That is Ziggy. I had no, yeah. I had no yeah. freaking clue. I just knew, I was just thrilled to see in the credits that she was labeled as Tina. So I, I have her down as Tina number one. Because yes. I didn't know if that was a, a fan theory or... She's Tina number one, but it doesn't make sense with what we know of Tina later. So it's like, is there two Tinas? Oh, there's definitely, there's two Tinas. <laughs> there's, there's no way that's the other Tina. That's the fun of a pilot, isn't it? Right? It's getting to see how things evolved and how things change. So, but uh, yeah, why, Matt, did, uh, do you know why they had Deborah redub? I guess- No! I have, I have, no, I have no idea. I can only assume either the performance was bad or there was a lot of noise with, like, the wind machines blowing outside the car or whatever. Maybe Dean's lines were dubbed as well, but they were able to get Dean to do his own lines. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like with uh, Donald Belisario is kind of notorious for being a perfectionist, and especially this being the pilot, he might have just been like, she's not sultry enough. Like, we just need something sultry sounding. We need something sexy. How about my wife? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) She's the sexiest woman I know. (laughs) It's great, like, getting all of these, like, little details later, too, because you wouldn't get it on first watch. Like, you're like, oh, that is Deborah Pratt. That is the voice of Ziggy. Or, like, when they're listening to the radio later, they're like, this is from uh, Velton Bunch and the Dovetones. (laughs) Here's Velton Bunch and the Dovetones. I thought that was great. (laughs) And had I not been doing this show with you guys, I wouldn't really know who Velton Ray Bunch was. So I was able to get that inside joke just by being a super fan with with you nerds. But speaking of nerds. What's a nerd? What's a nerd? (laughs) (laughs) I bit the bullet because, number one, I just didn't have time to look for the Blu-rays. And the Blu-ray player this last month has just been crazy. So I went on to Amazon today. About two hours before showtime, and I bought the entirety of season one uh, on Amazon Prime streaming. Much to my chagrin, Genesis comes up with the traditional saga cell and the open. And I was just like, is this the syndicate version of this? Because I know that they didn't syndicate? have this in place. Is that well, the term? That's that's what I uh, in fandom circles. That's where I've heard it. They call it the syndicate okay. version. Like, yeah, I've just never heard it before. Yeah. Cool. And another thing to support that there is a scene that i recall because there was a radio in it and i was doing my radio sightings between weird ernie and dr Berger talking about like keeping track of this quote memory loss that no you'd have lost all of that if that's the version you saw i lost all of it yep it wasn't there and i wouldn't have known to miss it if it weren't for the radio sightings because i was like where's the scene with that with that radio and i was like Jesus Christ, I just paid $22 for this entire season. I'm getting a freaking syndicate version of Genesis? What the hell? And it was in two parts. Is it also, what might be worse, is it still in 16.9? Because it was last time I checked out that version. I honestly don't even remember. I had it on, um, what I love about it is it is in HD, so I had it on like super vivid, like I watched Star Trek, the original series, just so I can get all of the eye-bleeding detail. But whether it had the curtains on on the side, I, I don't recall. If it was sixteen nine or four three, no, it wasn't. Um, it wouldn't have shown any of the, the curtains or anything. Like, 
No, no, they curtains, just curtains, in. curtains is the term for the black bars. Oh, I see. When you do four three and a sixteen nine. Oh, I've never had it called that before. Okay. All right, I thought you just meant like they were showing stuff they weren't supposed to show. No, no, that's TV lingo. I didn't get the TV lingo. You got all the lingo today. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> so, um, I I have to think that you guys are watching the Blu-rays. Are you not? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which which is the proper original version, which is in four three, and all very lovely. The HD remasters of the two-part version, there's a 16.9 version floating around, which is cropped at the top and bottom. And then there's also, again, I don't know if it's still the case, but for a while iTunes was carrying a 4.3 version, but it was just the 16.9 version that they then cropped on the left and right as well (laughs) to make it 4.3. Well, that's terrible. So it was double zoomed. That's how you fix a 16.9. Oh, no. You know, these streaming services need to stop cropping things into widescreen. This was while I was researching for the book, so iTunes might have fixed that by now. Obviously, Amazon haven't fixed theirs, but... Things that are, like, filmed in 4.3, they're they're framed for 4.3. So that's why yes. when you see these weird croppings, like, you get these, like, these weird framing where it's it's like the chins or the tops of the heads are cut off, and it, it looks real weird, and, like... I just don't get why so many streaming services are married to doing this. And if they are going to do it, have both options available. Maybe some people are sticklers for that. I know some people are like, I don't want this old stuff. Though I don't know why you'd be watching a 1980s TV show if you're like, I want something new. But, uh, I mean, you just... Cropping it in like that, it's so distracting. It's like you're watching a show through the slats in a board, like it, <laughs> looking through a window. Yeah, it's it's awful. It's awful. And the fact that this is what's streaming on Amazon now. I had to, because I, I, I had to have seen the original, I, I'm going to call it like the theatrical cut of Genesis, because when I was first contributing to the podcast and listening to um, Albie and Heather, I seem to recall going to my public library and being able to find Quantum Leap um, on mm-hmm. DVD. So I would bring you home- got it at a library yes, to watch it. Of course it. he How did. quaint. <laughs> Listen, I wasn't going to buy the DVDs because I just don't buy physical media unless it's books. That's just how I am. But they had it at the library, so why wouldn't I watch it? And I wanted to look for the radios in better quality. I don't know that it was HD quality, but it was better quality. And I was watching it on my laptop because it had the built-in DVD player. It it was DVD, dude. It wasn't HD. Okay. So it was still head and shoulders above what I was able to get on VHS and the USA Network. Yeah, that that would have been the original NBC uh, release where it has the uh, music replacements and the very yellow SD and... Very yeah, quality. I, I probably had it with the music replacement, but it it seemed to be complete because I remember at least one scene, yes. and there are probably more that were missing from this, you know, super advanced Amazon version that I got. Now I can stream it. It's worse. It's mostly the Engramic standard stuff that you'd have missed this time around. There's a few shortcuts as well, but that's that's the biggest chunk that's missing. Yeah, the as as far as the the music is concerned with that episode, that one especially, or any episode that they would have had an intention to release on home media, and especially a pilot, they would have, they would have gotten permission to license the music for releases, which is um, something they don't they didn't generally do for TV shows, which is why you run into a lot of the licensing issues because DVDs and streaming weren't a thing yet. Uh, but if they were intending to release it on home media they would have gotten some sort of licensing for the music, which is why I think the pilot is pretty untouched with the replacements. Yeah, the se- season one as a whole, I think, is okay. It was seasons two to four that 
were affected. And they might have actually, like, paid for some songs for season one, and then they're like, this is too expensive if we're going to release the rest of them. Sometimes shows just kind of, they kind of give up when they're doing releases. Yeah. So I, I'm going to see if I can return the streaming version that I bought from Amazon and actually get a proper Blu-ray. Although I just to to see what was in store for me, I did load up the first few um, seconds of Starcrossed and it didn't start out with the saga cell. It started out with Sam doing his voiceover, you know, in, in the flash of a quantum clock. I was, uh, you know, from a <laughs> test pilot or whatever. Yeah. The, you know, the rest of them are all fine. Amazon is a fine place to go for all the rest of the episodes. It's just Genesis that is uh, buggered up. Yeah, so I know I knew we were going to get into sort of the geeky version stuff. I, I wanted to get it done up top because I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't going crazy, that I didn't imagine these scenes between Weird Ernie and the Doctor and, and all that stuff. So, But if you're telling me, Matt, that's maybe the biggest scene that I missed, it was just other little stuff. Yeah, I would say so. Okay, so it's it's, it's not that bad. That's probably the version most people saw, too. Because I can't imagine in, until they had the DVDs out, when they were doing them in reruns, they didn't usually air the solid hour and a half version. It was probably the syndicated version. I believe there was a, a cut scene, and I'm not sure if they filmed it or if it was just in the script. It ended up in the novelization of the episode, where Sam talks to Al on the plane, I believe. I don't think anything significant happens there, but I, I believe there was a small bit where that happens. I forgot to read the novelization. Oh, it's been a long time since I read that. I, there is an extra scene in the novel, and I don't know if that ended up in the script or if it was just that draft of the script they used for the novelization, but there definitely is a little bit extra in there, which is kind of interesting. What is the novelization? Where did that come out? Because it's not part of the Berkeley novels. Was it Box Tree? Yeah, Box Tree, who republished the US novels in the UK. They had two exclusives, of which this was the first one. But that wasn't Ghost in the Gumshoe. That was the second one. Yes. Yeah, both of them are uh, written from Sam's perspective. Hmm. So they're all like, I leaped in and I did this and do do do. They're slightly more young adulty. Yeah. Okay. Well, wow. We've gone about a half hour already, and we haven't even discussed Genesis. So this is <laughs> we, great. We discussed this the sound effect at the beginning, the opening <laughs> scene. I wanted to also note, Al looks very classy in this episode. He's in a tux through most of it. Pretty sweet. It takes a long time for them to introduce his fashion sense. He progresses because he's he's in the tux, which is just pretty normal for Al, but uh, incongruous to the settings around him. So that's kind of interesting. And then he gets into the tie dye shirt and you're like, oh, it's a little kooky. And then he gets into the silver jacket. So they're like easing you into it through the episode. Yes, that was the biggest thing that I noticed on this rewatch is the easing in slash spoon feeding of what was one of maybe the notoriously nebulous concepts to ever cross a Hollywood executive's desk. <laughs> it just struck me that I used to think that Swiss cheesing was a plot device that Don built in so that Sam could have a fresh start at the beginning of each episode, not carry all of the burdens of the last leap, especially if it was a heavy leap or a wacky leap or whatever. It, it just, you know, cleared the slate so that he could start with this leap. But now I'm thinking 
he was probably thinking, how do I get the idiots out there to understand what is kind of high concept, but actually pretty simple once you sort of get into it? And how do I ease them into it bit by bit by bit by bit? Oh, you know what? They'll discover it along with Sam. Sam will have amnesia. Yeah. And so, okay, he doesn't know who he is. You know, it's about five minutes of him saying, who am I? My name's Sam. No, your name's Tom. And then you get the mirror shot. And what, what, you know? That first mirror shot's great. Oh my God. Mm. The way that they match the hand movements. Yeah. Yeah. They've, they've set up a glass panel between the set to recreate the set exactly, which is how they used to do it. And, and they started doing it less so later on. And it's great to see them the way they used to do it again. It's really smart. Yeah, they've placed Jennifer Runyon on the other side and a double next to Scott Bakula. Ah, okay. So it was so it was almost like they did with What Price Gloria? Yeah, I mean, you don't see yeah. both faces at the same time because they've they've placed a double there. But at What Price Gloria, uh, the way they did that there, they had twins, so they were able to set up a more elaborate shot. They didn't have to have a double or a split screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, they put a lot of care into that first mirror shot. And I thought it worked. It was one of the best in the entire series. It was a lot better than the one they ended up using in the opening shot from the ball <laughs> game. The second one. Oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. boy. That one's a little rough, but, you know, we'll get there. We'll get there. So, I mean, I thought that that was, was a great way to get people in. And I think that giving them that mirror shot and making it such an extended thing, because usually, you know, as the series went on, he would just like walk down the hall, glance in a mirror and passing and, you know, it would be, it became such a shorthand for the series. But to really take the time to establish it and the way that Sam was freaked out about it was, I think, a good way to get the audience comfortable with the concept as well. I think that that was one of the biggest uh, pieces of, quote, lore for the show that was established very well in this. But there was a lot of other lore established. And if we can go back to that scene with Al, can you guys tell me how being part of Project Quantum Leap gives Al access to experimental sports cars? I don't, I think that's just like, it's some project technology, which seems, yeah. in Killing Time seems to be the, the idea. Like he puts the little Ziggy disc in there and all, and all that. Um, yeah, I don't know why Project Quantum Leap needs special high tech cars. <laughs> it really seems to only be relevant in Killing Time. <laughs> At first, it's like, oh, maybe it's just because this is the future, because they got like the light up earrings and shoes and stuff. And it's like, okay, clearly this is some futuristic time. But no, she doesn't know what yeah. the car is either. So clearly this is something project related. But for what reason? I don't think we ever know. Yeah, I I looked at the earrings and and the heels, and I said, okay, oh, LEDs. That's that's future shorthand. So are we going to have more future shorthand? We'll also do that little star applique, which seems to be a, a lapel piece for Al. It seems to be on the back window of the sports car. It seems to be on the gas pedal. Like they really love that little blue star. Yeah, Gushy's wearing one too. Is he? Yeah. Someone made up, like, a headcanon about it, I believe, that it was something to do with Project Starbright. Oh. I kind of like that. Kind of makes sense. So they all came over from Project Starbright. But that would mean that the car had to do with Project Starbright and not to do with Project Quantum Leap. And maybe it did. I don't know what they were working on at Starbright, so maybe that's just left over from that. He was able to keep the car. 
Yeah. All right. Hey, I like the way you, you headcat into that. That that works for me. Yeah. Do we know in the show, not in the novels, in the show, do we know what happened at Project Starbright? Because it could have been a car building thing. Which is what you need the quantum physicist and the ex-astronaut for, is building <laughs> high-tech cars. The ex-astronaut was the test driver, because he can drive anything. Um, <laughs> you can fly a rocket, you can certainly drive a very fast car. And and Sam was there to fix a vending machine that Al was <laughs> having a fight with. I don't know. <laughs> this this uh, vending machine keeps eating dimes. I better get in there. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, in this, we also learned that Al went to MIT and uh, he yeah. was a horn dog then. So <laughs> yes. that was nice to see. They uh, they also established this is something interesting um, that I didn't really think about until now. I think that um, they established that animals can see Al in this episode. Yeah, with the dog, it's right away. You know what? At that point, it had become almost like regular quantum leap. So I'd stopped commenting in my mind about firsts. But you're right; that was a first. I assume that was just them thinking ahead, saying, "Well, at some point, we're gonna we're gonna have an animal in this show, and we can't exactly train an animal to ignore." Dean Stockwell in his bright clothing. So, yeah, eh, animals can see him. The animals and, and kids thing. It's like if they're, yeah, you can't stop them from if looking. So just write it in there. To train. You know, yeah, yeah. you know, that, well, that never occurred to me. But uh, my example for that is why Al is always smoking a cigar. It's because if he's got to be in an outdoor scene that's cold, you wouldn't be able to see yes. his breath in the imaging chamber. Oh, no, it's just cigar smoke. So that's why they wrote that character trait in. I don't think that's why. I think it's because <laughs> Dean Stockwell was like, free cigars! <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just always saw it as as a way to mask his breath if they ever needed to, like, say, in the Bigfoot episode. Maybe. I don't think I don't think that was a thought because I don't think they had established exactly what the rules were yet because um, they have that scene and this is written this way in the script too and in the novelization. So I know it was intentional where he's sitting in the airplane hangar, not the hangar, the, the back of the airplane where the, like the wind's blowing on him right, and right. blowing all of his clothes around. Obviously, if he's a hologram, it, it wouldn't be doing that. And uh, mm. that was just written that way that he was going to be he's standing there and his clothes whipping in the wind. And why is this guy standing in the back of the plane like this? Yeah. yeah and I think that that was just an obvious mistake that, you know, when, when you call out what's what's different about the pilot and what's changed, that was the biggest flub that I saw. It wasn't a flub. They intentionally did it that way. It's just like they just hadn't figured out that like, yeah, that's not how that would work. But with the rules that you set up. It's a, it's a flub in the context of the series. Sure. There's things that don't really make sense. It seems like a flub even within the context of the episode when they go to such extremes to explain that, oh, yeah, the, the agitated quarks and neurons and stuff means that you can imagine you can see me, but not in a mirror. <laughs> also, imagine you see me with wind affecting me. It, <laughs> it doesn't stand up to much scrutiny, even if you don't go past pilot. No. I don't know why Al introduces himself as Albert. That's <laughs> so weird. <laughs> he never calls himself Albert. <laughs> it's the same reason why he has, I think, no less than three occasions in this episode to say, ain't it a kick in the butt? Kick in the butt, ain't it? <laughs> ain't this a kick in the butt? That was obviously <laughs> going to be Al's catchphrase at some point. Yeah, kick in the butt. Uh, I never said it would be easy. Kaka. He has some colorful phrases in this one. He says... 
Once that's put right, you'll snap back like a pimp suspenders. <laughs> and they've got about as much enthusiasm as a $10 hooker. <laughs> yeah. They make out, you know, much more. Well, I wouldn't say much more. I, I think they, I feel like he would use a little cleaner euphemisms later. It's still TV safe, but I feel like they cleaned it up just a little bit more later. Yeah. Once it went to series, maybe they said we need to sort of retool the character a little bit. But they didn't retool him much. He was still a horn dog throughout. Maybe like you said, Elson, he just he was a little bit more polite about it, a little bit more politic about it. Everyone at that project is horny. That's what I learned from the pilot of Quantum Leap. <laughs> They're talking about when Sam leaps out into the baseball thing. They're all celebrating. Gushy's printing out X-rated oh, pictures. Yeah. Brenda from Coding, yeah. whoever that is, is so turned on by this that she does something that they never <laughs> really get to. Gushy, he got so wasted that he had Ziggy printing X-rated pictures. And you know, Brenda, the cute little redhead in Coding, she got so turned on. Who the hell is Brenda from Coding? Guess what wasn't in the version that I saw? Any of those lines. They didn't say that? They didn't say it in the syndicate version that I watched today. You missed the horny backstory. Uh, Yeah. Did um, they keep in the dialogue explaining about the uh, time working differently? Yes. Yeah. They said it's been a couple of weeks. You've been bouncing around for a couple of weeks. And Sam, to Sam, it was instantaneous. Right. Okay. Because I think it was in that same conversation. Yeah, it goes, it goes straight from, it may have seemed like a couple of minutes to you, to I'm in a real identity crisis here, Al. 26 seconds. Of good missing. project lore. As established on which page of your book, Matt? <laughs> 25. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just here to read my book for you. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I love the fact that they did establish the Neuron and Mason link, and they gave it sort of a sciencey sounding name. Because I'd never heard the terms neurons and mesons, or, or mesons anyway, until Quantum Leap. So it was nice to see that that was there from the very beginning. And mm-hmm. um, the other biggie, Al busting out that piece of string and mm-hmm. explaining string theory, which I had not seen except for on uh, Captain Galaxy on Future Boy. So it was nice to see that they had brought that into the very beginning as um, a good simple way and even al says i had to dumb it down for the president let me dumb it down for you so one thing that really struck me and we've had a discussion about this before i believe because it says in the saga cell that dr sam beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished i think that we've had discussions in the past debating whether or not there was somebody in the accelerator chamber or not is his body there or some kind of simulacrum of his body at the project. But Al says regarding Sam's leap into Tom. When you went in, he came out. So that means Tom walked out of the accelerator or stumbled out of the accelerator. That's the way I read that. Yeah. I mean, later on, they seem to all be in the waiting room, but I'm not really sure how any of it would work. Well, I could see then they bring Tom into the waiting room and then the visitor never leaves there. So yeah. in the future, yeah. he'll always be in the waiting room because that's where Sam's body is. Or Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess in yeah. the intro, yeah. it would sound clunky if it'd be like, he stepped into the accelerator and then uh, another guy took his place and they took him into another room and then it was empty for a while. <laughs> <laughs> that's where they go. <laughs> How does Al know about fly fishing lures? Is that a ginger quill spent wing? Maybe a blue dun? Al knows everything. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess that's not the most ludicrous thing that he would know about. <laughs> 
I like in that scene, um, first of all, he's in his pajamas. So he had to have slept at the project somewhere, I guess. Uh, he, he talks about being with Tina. Was Tina sleeping with him at the project? Like, not keeping things very secret here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he's got the early version of the hand link, where it's just like a translucent piece of plastic that does nothing. Yeah. It was also in that scene where I think it's Al who said, God or time or something. This is Ziggy's theory. God or time or something grabbed you. So they didn't say GTFW yet. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's not that scene. It's the scene where they're in the airplane hangar. Okay. Mm. But yes, they don't say uh, God, time or fate. Uh, but they kind of, it's, it's, it's going in that direction anyway. I think that's Sam that might say that wording exactly. Probably in one of his narrations. It's weird going back to Sam narration era. Mm. Cause that's probably the cheesiest aspect, but necessary. In the blink of a cosmic clock, I would, <laughs> I'm into pregnant women, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> weird dialogue. <laughs> I love the fact also that. Al is incensed with the idea that Sam is there to put right what once went wrong. He's like, that's Ziggy's theory. I don't buy it, you know, because really in what universe would that make sense to a scientist? Oh, you're there. Otherwise, you you, you can't leap. Yeah, he, sa- he says it's a load of crap. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, Ziggy's theory is really it's a load of crap. But sort of touching on that. Even though Al thinks that part of it's a load of crap, he does say specifically to Sam, retrieving you is dependent on everyone here believing you're the person you replaced. Yeah, why? How? <laughs> why? How would they know? What is that all about? Why Why would that have to do anything with retrieval? I don't know. Yeah, I, I got nothing. <laughs> I, I, I made the same note as well. I, I do not get that. It's very clear that they are making this stuff up as they go along, and suddenly there are rules. So you have to think that, okay, based on what they say about the retrieval, Sam's intent for Project Quantum Leap, even though we've never really heard it stated out loud, the original intent for the project was for him to travel into another person's aura, Hmm. body, mind, however you want to put it, but to replace somebody in time. Yes. Yeah, I mean, unless that's something that they figured out after, like, they're like, it's dependent on this. Don't know. I think you're right, though. That does seem to indicate that this was part of the intention. Right, and I know the only reason I bring it up is because we just discussed it in the context of Ashley's book, Carney yeah, Knowledge. You're right. Yeah. yeah, because they were talking about his original intent in that was that he was just going to observe. Well, you can observe still, like, and not not affect anything while you're there. I mean, that would, uh, I guess, go with the butterfly effect. Don't uh, t- don't interact with anything in the timeline. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's right out the window with Quantum Leap. The second he leaps in, it's different. So if there's going to be butterfly effects. There are going to be dinosaurs all over the place soon enough. Um, although I kind of messed up that story. That's not really how that ends. Yeah, but I mean, I guess his intention wasn't to change history. It was just to go there and observe because they all seem to think like this is, oh, you have to write something? Like, that sounds like a load of crap. <laughs> <laughs> So let's do some um, post-creative reasoning as to why he needs everybody there to believe that he's the person he's there as. Is it because if he changes something, it screws up Ziggy's lock on him? Like Ziggy needs to be in a certain dimension (laughs) and Sam going there and switching things up is the reason she can't get a lock on him now because – 
he skewed them into a different tangent of reality. And every time he fixes something to leap again, he's skewing them further and further away from the original timeline. I'm going to go with that, that just because you managed to use the word skew and tangent in the same sentence without having a blackboard to hand. I know my audience, Matt, and my audience yeah. is you. <laughs> <laughs> Ziggy's just blowing smoke at her ass. Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like, he talks about who he is later to other people. It doesn't really affect anything. But I think that's a rule they were kind of like wishy-washy on anyway. The same as like, he can't know anything that he doesn't already know or... I mean, like anything that they really establish, like, doesn't really seem to matter. Success is not dependent on leaping. It's like, okay, well, yeah. you told us it was before. <laughs> <laughs> it was until it wasn't. And yeah. I feel like this was a way for them. Honestly, it's just a plot device to introduce stakes into sure. the into the pilot to say, hey, wait a minute. Now he told Peg, so is he ever going to get back? And yeah, of course, they were they were wishy washy on it after the fact. I liked the effect of them trying to retrieve Sam, like yeah. the, the clocks flipping and then they like go outside of the, the house and they're searching around through the sky. Like yeah. you don't see shots like that later in Quantum Leap, these these aerial shots. It's really cool. Pricey, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah. But very beautiful. Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's it's a neat twist. It was the thing that struck me most when I first saw Genesis because I was expecting a leap. And oh, yeah. I guess this is this is how they're going to portray the leap in this TV movie version of Quantum Leap that I'm watching right now. The, the leaping effect looked real shitty in the early state. Like just zoom in and kind of blue. And yeah, I mean, so I mean, so the first actual leaping effect was. Can we call the leaping effect when Mikey throws the baseball up to Sam, and he catches it, and then they transition to him in the. Because it looked like the baseball got lost in the sun. Yeah, I mean, that was a cool transition. I think if yeah. you're just figuring it out, like, that's that's fine. When they they do the zoom in at the end and then the blue, it, I don't think it looks very good. Right, right. So that was the first the first actual leap effect as we know it was the one after he had gotten the home, well, not the home run, but at, that he had been able to run the bases and, and get the score. Yeah, I don't think it was until season two that they properly started doing the kind of, like, lightning outline and all that stuff. Yeah. And then when they did flashbacks, they they redid the effect. Yeah. When they would do like leap ins to different things, when the airing order was all weird, like they they redid the leaping effect to match. Because the leaping effect was ever um, evolving throughout the second season, I thought, because there were weird ways that the blue light would fly off in episodes like What Price Gloria. Um, I I feel like, and maybe even Machiko too, that um they had it where it would like little pieces of it would fly off of him as the blue light was fading so yeah they were evolving it yeah for sure so but i think that this was a good cheap and dirty way for them to at least establish this is how you're going to be experiencing this show in the future and this is how we're going to transition from one story to the next so even though yeah. it wasn't sophisticated it was still workmanlike it was serviceable so yeah no i love seeing these early versions of stuff like the uh, the project door it's yeah. just like a door. Mm, yes, it's a door. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which, if you don't know how it looks later, I guess it's kind of interesting to be like, this is an invisible door to nowhere. And it had to have been like, it took taken a little bit of work to make that effect work. I'm sure it was easier to do this lighting door later, actually, because all mm. you have to do was do like a wipe. Yeah, but it was... Again, this was where I had to, especially with the imaging chamber door being just like a like a closet door that you open and close... 
It was the biggest disconnect for me as a Quantum Leap fan to that point, trying to figure out, okay, don't get caught up in the fact that it's not the door that we know and love. Try to put yourself in the place of somebody watching this pilot in 1989 and this guy just disappearing around what appears to be an invisible door. That must have been pretty freaking mind-blowing. I'm As cool, yeah. I think, as the door sliding up and down that we eventually establish in the series as it goes forward. It's strange because once you know what the project looks like from later seasons, like you, you couldn't imagine just like a door, like a literal just a doorknob leading in and out. <laughs> but if you know nothing about it, yeah, it's really cool. And especially like for 1989 TV, I mean, that's pretty good effect. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why Al has to walk so far to get out of the imaging chamber. <laughs> he has to leave the, <laughs> leave the dance club or whatever, their little get together. And that brings us back to the discussion that we had during the book show about how big is the imaging chamber? (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you know, it it seems to me um, they made it almost like the holodeck as the series went on. The door was always right behind him whenever he needed it. So getting travel far from that door at all. Uh, This is a bit more realistic if you think about it. If he's walking around a big room, however big the room is, the door is not always going to be right there. Yeah, I don't know why it is always right behind him, but... He might have not wanted the door to be right there because he didn't want Sam to see it at that point. They might have intentionally moved the door. They do change a lot of things. There are things, as the show figures it out, it's very easy to write. We have made adjustments with Ziggy because bleedy bleedy bleedy. Because at this point in the show, um, Al doesn't see Sam as Sam. He sees him as the person he's leaped into and he sees the person in the waiting room as Sam. And he establishes yeah. that. And that's something that they change later because he's like, I don't want to be horny for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's something that like it's very easy to change if you're like, I've, I've changed my mind. They changed something at the project. Mm-hmm. They did establish one thing that never changed, that Ziggy has a big ego. Mm-hmm. And Al says magnafoozled right in the pilot. So that <laughs> yeah. always stayed. Those were traits that I, I think that they liked. But the one thing, I mean, we're talking about effects and – Effects that that didn't change. The the mirror effect in this was great. The door effect was mind-blowing, I would think, for the time because it was just so otherworldly. But the other real home run in this was the cockpit effect when Al as the hologram comes up behind Sam through the seat. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, yeah, follow my motions. And that must have been expensive as hell and difficult as hell for them to sort of match and to get it so that it didn't look – wonky. I think that for the standards of TV at the time, it was a completely convincing scene. I think the effects hold up very well. It was expensive for them to do the Al effects throughout the whole show. I'm not sure if it was more expensive for the pilot because they were still figuring out how to do everything. They did do some workarounds, uh, like when they're in the uh, the airplane hangar and Al walks behind the uh, wing of the plane, he's supposed to be walking through it. I think they do a little sound effect too. Clearly, they have just detached the wing from the plane, Yes, yeah. which was very easy to do with what they had because, uh, and, and that might have been another expense, Donald Belisario wanted a very specific kind of plane because he's a, a Navy guy, like he knows his stuff, and they could not find one. Uh, outside of the stock footage that they had. So he had one made out of styrofoam and that is not a real plane. So they could easily just detach the wing and have Dean Stockwell walk through it magically. 
But it matches the stock footage so well. <laughs> no, no, no. I, it, I it, think it, it does. Well, it does. It, the stock footage can look a little wonky because it is stock footage, but I do yes. think it looks yeah. like the plane. I had no idea that wasn't a real plane until I read it later. Probably in your book. The shot where the, <laughs> the plane comes out of the hangar and, yeah, it drops to this kind of gritty, grainy, dirty material. But the hangar and the plane both look identical to what they're filming. It's, yeah... That was really impressively done. Yeah, they put a lot of work into recreating this plane. I'm sure Donald Belisario, because he wanted them to make this because he wanted a specific kind of plane, was very like a stickler for the details. Yes. Yeah. And one thing that I did notice, because um, this is the first time I've watched Quantum, especially early Quantum, on my new TV, which has, you know, the Ultra HD how, and I might have said it on the show, but I've read this before, where people say that in remastering Quantum Leap for Blu-ray, the show is almost aggressively grainy at times. So it makes it difficult to get that crystal clear picture that everybody expects. And I'm thinking, was that because they knew that they might be matching some pretty dodgy stock footage? So they wanted the whole thing to feel of one piece, even no. though you can tell, no. you know, like, or was it, <laughs> you know, how can you not? But no, it's because it's a, good re mostly apart from the color correction it's a good remastering job what you tend to find in hd these days is either modern hd which is shot on proper digital video and no grain or old material that's been noise reduced to anything and just looks plasticky the fact that there's grain on quantum leap is a good thing it's not the best remastering job but the the grain is is there because it's there yeah, I would rather they leave the grain in than not. Uh, the noise reduction can be done to a ridiculous degree uh, in some remasters. Some people have complained about in uh, the Get Back documentary that just got released. Um, they did a lot of grain reduction on that. I think that was one of the better jobs because I, I thought it looked pretty good. Um, but then you get things like the original Buffy remaster where they put yeah. the grain reduction on to a degree. They they all look <laughs> like plastic. It's real weird. Yeah. it's it, it, There's this thing about texture when you're watching stuff. Like the grain just feels like you're watching a film. Like it just feels more alive to me. And and I, I'm going to use this to segue into something that I noticed about this that you probably didn't. It probably doesn't matter too much. But when they're uh, in the dance hall, wherever that's supposed to be, uh, they have smoked the hell out of that set. <laughs> you can <laughs> see smoke just like coming out from the floorboards, just hanging in the air. And they did that on a lot of old film, and they might still do it now, but it, it just it looked better on film to smoke a set, just put smoke through the set. And it does. But once you notice it, you're like, yeah, why is there smoke in here? But it does make <laughs> it look a lot nicer. It feels like they're in the room full of people who are probably all smoking. <laughs> mm, yeah, it gives it an ambiance is is what I noticed. But I didn't I didn't attribute yeah. that to it being like a smoky set. Um, now that you pointed it out, it also might be a reason why usually when I try to watch things on the ultra HD setting, like the vivid setting, it looks like a soap opera. Uh, it looks terrible. But when I put Quantum on, it didn't lose very much of the cinematic quality on the Ultra HD setting. Honestly, Chris, you you mention a vivid setting and I'm twitching. I don't even want to know what that's doing. Yeah, I, I tell you, Matt, I only use it to watch Star Trek, the original series, because I just want to see all the props in the background in as much glorious color and detail as possible. Otherwise, <laughs> I have a setting that's a much more cinematic setting that I watch everything on because I can't take I can't take the, the true HD. It makes everything look awful. 
anyway, that's a that's an aside. But uh, in as far as establishing things for the show, some of the story elements, as far as an episode of Quantum Leap, I think that this one's okay. I mean, if we can discuss maybe some of the characters that we come across here, I guess Jennifer Runyon. Of Ghostbusters fame. <laughs> I was just about to say eight o'clock. <laughs> She's cool. I know they've done. Uh, they've, yeah. they've, they've, we've done well, not us, but for the podcast, there was an interview with her. She did some of the radio show stuff. Like she seems just like a cool lady. Yeah, Jennifer Onion has uh, been a friend of the show. Among the people that the Quantum Leap podcast has interviewed from this episode, off the top of my head, I can say Jennifer Runyon is one who's contributed more to the podcast since then. W.K. Stratton is another one who played Dr. Berger. And um, Lydia Cornell, who had a smaller part as Sally in this. But I'm sorry, aside from Peg, the women in this really – don't have a lot to do. All they talk about is stretch marks and sex. Like that's- <laughs> I loved them. I I found them so adorable. They're the pregnant Air Force wives uh, that are like hanging out, gossiping with each other, worrying. They're all pregnant at the same time. <laughs> right? Yeah. I thought they were so sweet. One of them was Leela Ivy, and she was uh, later in the episode "Permanent Wave." As Chloe, the villain in that uh, one, yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. They do have like a few people that are in other episodes, like most prominently Bruce McGill mm-hmm. as Weird Ernie. It's kind of interesting seeing them. Uh, young Sam is the same young Sam that they use later. I noticed that. Um, I, I was watching this specifically for tie-ins to the other stuff, especially is Weird Ernie God. And from what I was able to see, um, maybe there was some of the cut material that would you know, cause me to think otherwise. But Matt, I think you're absolutely right. There is absolutely no way you can twist any kind of indication. <laughs> They're not weird. Well, okay, could somehow it, be God. <laughs> there was no intention on their part. Like they weren't thinking that far ahead. But like, I mean, if you're going to say that he's God, I mean, couldn't God make anything happen? He could pretend he's some guy named Weird Ernie. That <laughs> like, but how how great would it be to find just this little twist, this little nuance that you could just imagine? Just so you can tie it together. I know it was never the intent. I know that there's no reason to expect it to be there. It just would have been mind-blowing if, by coincidence, there was some wrinkle in the performance that caused you to say, huh? It wasn't there. <laughs> I mean, the thing is, he, he doesn't even have to be God, because what does God look like? I think God probably looks like John Delancey, but God could choose <laughs> to look like any human he wants to to aid Sam uh, in his understanding, so it would have been nice in mirror image if he'd have said, "Yeah, I'm, I'm just looking like that guy you met on his on your first leap." That's, I'm actually this big glowing ball of something. Yeah, I mean that might have been the intention. Everyone's looking like someone, but yeah. they're not really the but, people that he met on the leaps. They just look like people he met on the leaps. So, yeah, maybe that's the idea. I should have said GTF dubs. It's not necessarily God. We get it. We understand. It's just good <laughs> shorthand. So, but. If we can, if we can, I'm sorry, I kind of derailed the discussion, but about Peg and um, her character, I was intrigued with where they went with some of her stuff because it seems to me that she is slowly realizing that maybe this is not Tom pulling a gag. But Sam is <laughs> telling gags. the truth. How much of a dick must Tom and Bird? They an must be the, the biggest pair of jerks. <laughs> they must be unbearable. 
<laughs> Bird Dog especially just struck me as, oh my God, this guy is a, an ass. And the sonic booms you hear today will be dedicated to you. Oh, Bird Dog. I love Bird Dog, but you know why? It's because I love John Ellen Nelson. <laughs> He's great. <laughs> But it, it feels like, you're, you're right, there's, there's some awful characters in this, and yet it feels like the entire film is partly an exercise in Belisario saying, hey, life was great when I was in my early 20s. Right. What, wasn't, wasn't, wasn't everything just so cool? Oh, yeah. They're getting out there for the nostalgic boomers, for sure. <laughs> Aren't the 50s great? Sometimes little kids get hit by buses, but otherwise it's pretty good. Look, why don't you just go back on out there with Mikey? You know, you haven't spent this much time with him since he was hit by the bus. See, now that's that's the line that I wanted to bring up. Was this Peg testing Sam? Saying, well, you know, ever since you haven't since the bus accident. Like, she's waiting for him was it de- to I don't say. So. No, I, no, Tom was just a dick. If it was, Jennifer Runyon didn't get that, because I remember her talking about it in the interview. She's like, what? <laughs> he was hit by a bus? <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, whether or not she knew the intent of the line that she was delivering, me watching it was seeing peg saying i'm gonna i'm gonna do a test here because then right after that you know she says that and sam just sort of glances over it and starts walking away and then she stops him very deliberately and kisses him and how else would you know more certainly whether or not you're with the person that you've known and loved for however many years you have a child together than just feeling the kiss like is the same spark there? How would the kiss feel different unless it was Sam's body and he didn't mm. mind a leap? Hmm? Sam kiss is different than Tom. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> even even if it's his mind working Tom's lips or his body <laughs> under Tom's aura, it's still not the same guy. This is something I enjoy about this episode. Um, it is a pretty standard leap. There is some exciting things in it, but generally they're not getting too complicated because they're establishing it. They're able to get into a lot of things that they don't get into later because you just don't want to see it every episode. You kind of like, you have to move on and not dwell on these details. But the fact that like her husband kisses different is something that's just interesting to see like these interactions between this person who is a stranger pretending to be her husband. Yeah, and I, I wanted them to follow up on that because it seemed like at that last scene is of Peg coming to some kind of realization in the kitchen. Mm. And then they never follow up on it because the next time you see her, she's in the hospital and then she's drunk and then he leaps. And I just wish yeah, that- Yeah, I mean, I they- don't think it's supposed to be her figuring it out. I mean, he blatantly told her what the deal was and she didn't believe him. <laughs> yeah, but I, I feel like that she does start to believe him. Yeah, there's yeah. I mean, there's a lot of people that seem to be getting something's going on. Bird Dog does too. There's that interesting scene uh, at the barbecue outside just mm-hmm. before he goes into the kitchen, where he doesn't know the name of this maneuver with the plane, right? And then yeah. Bird Dog like tells yeah. his kid what the name of the maneuver is, and he's just kind of watching him. Yeah, he gives him sort of the, the side eye. He gives him the hairy eyeball. Like, what what the yeah. hell is going on <laughs> with you? And it's funny because I I think that it was sort of just. I'm not going to say lazy writing, but convenient writing to make it that Tom and Bird Dog are always pulling gags oh, sure. to cover up the fact that Sam doesn't know who the hell he is. What if Tom was the straightest edge you could imagine? Mm. What no, if he-, he had to he had to <laughs> leap into the biggest jokester in the world, the biggest dick possible, because. <laughs> Otherwise, none of the like the plot couldn't move forward. They would just put him like into an institution. The end. <laughs> God, fate, or time knew what he or she was doing. 
Yeah. Yeah, okay. Everything worked out conveniently because God, time, fate, whatever, needed knew that he needed some time to ease into it. That's why he didn't leap in just before everything happened. He had to, like, kind of ease into it, figure out what was going on, and then get into the groove. Or, or if you go by God, fate, time, whatever's uh, own admission, they didn't figure that out. Sam somehow figured that out because he put himself <laughs> in that position. So if If you go with the theory – that God is in this episode, you can also say they foreshadow the devil because he has two times where Sam mentions the boogeyman yes. in his narration. Mm, yes. Burger and one theory. time when Al is there, who <laughs> yeah. is disguised the boogeyman. <laughs> that's kind of interesting, retroactively. There you go. Mm-hmm. See, that's the kind of thing I was looking for to just link to mirror image somehow. Just kind of a throwaway line that turns out to be oddly relevant to something they could never have been thinking of to begin with. Uh, I, I wanted to say uh, I appreciated uh, the acting from everyone here, but especially Scott Bakula, because A, I think he was cast like two weeks before they filmed. <laughs> <laughs> so they had like, it's just instantly just thrown into this. But also Sam's going through the ringer in this episode. He has a lot of stuff that he has to accept and um, just the scenes where he's wrestling with these emotions. He's trying to call his father, but cannot remember his own last name yeah. through the whole episode. Just And then he's trying to, like, hold it in when the kid shows up and he's trying not to show his emotions to him. Like, it's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Scott turns on a dime in this very well. And you're empathetic towards him when when he just, like, scenes like that. Yeah, well, when he's talking to Al in the dance hall and then he asks if he's dead, right. like, it is kind of funny, mm. but it's also like, holy shit, like, he could be dead. All right, I want to go on a tangent here with that, okay? <laughs> what does Sam say to Al? Dead, am I dead? It would explain a lot. I could be in a reverse reincarnation that's entered in midlife. Okay, <laughs> Sam is a freaking physicist. How else do you explain that you're suddenly another person? I guess maybe you'd go there. But this points to me, I mean, Quantum Leap has uh, always dabbled, I think, rather poorly into um, heavy supernatural themes. Ghosts exist, Bigfoot exists, mummies exist, UFOs exist. Now Sam, in episode one, his go-to explanation is some kind of reverse reincarnation. It seems weird for Sam to be thinking right? that. Yeah. But I mean, I guess he's already leapt into some weirdo who plays pranks on everyone in the 50s. So I guess what else are you going to think? Like, I don't know. I mean, he believes telekinesis is real in The Boogeyman. He believes – he obviously believes in the supernatural yeah. wholeheartedly. Sam's open to anything except ghosts and stupid stuff that Al believes. <laughs> I just, I don't know. It was just a very, very weird line. Uh, we were talking about something before I tangented off to that. Does anyone remember? We were talking about Sam's emotions through the episode, calling his dad. Talking to his dad that looked nothing like Scott Bakula with heavy makeup on. <laughs> oh my god, it was so much better though. Why Why didn't they just bring that guy back? I mean, so yeah, I, that that scene of Scott on the phone with his dad was amazing. He was so good in that and yeah yeah i mean that's that's where you get like they cast this perfectly and the sincerity in that call i don't want to disappoint my dad but i i don't think i'm gonna be able to make it home for thanksgiving this year well i know he'll understand i hope so it, it doesn't mean i don't love him i do and i i miss him a lot too even 
even if I never, I never told him. It's funny because I was thinking about the fact that you, Matt, said that Sam's father's name John and his brother's name is John too, but it's actually his father's brother. So it's his uncle John. His uncle yeah. John, who also named his son Sam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then their great grandfather was also John. Like, can, can the Beckett stop Johns. naming people John and Sam? This was the only reason I put together a family tree for the book, just to show how ridiculous the the number of Johns in that line is. It's ridiculous. And, like, apparently there is an uncle because that's what his dad says. He's like, oh, John. So apparently he does have an uncle named John, uh, but he doesn't know him or his family because he doesn't know about his son named Sam, who is non-existent. Well, because no one's heard from John since he moved to Australia mysteriously. Yeah, twenty years but he, before. But his American son, who who goes around a lot, I guess he's Australian, but with an American accent. Well, I travel around a lot. That's what he said. I travel around a lot. <laughs> but you sound exactly like my son. Like literally, well, exactly know like that. my oh, son. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the dubbing, the dubbing, yes. the child. <laughs> hey, Dad, that calf is going to drop any second. Don't dub the children with adult voices. It never sounds good. There's no reason for it. But it sets it. everything up for Leap for Lisa so perfectly. You know, they, they were thinking ahead. They're like, we know we're going to get a young Dean Stockwell in and dub him with Dean. We've got to set this up now and have Sam dub a baby. There's no, there's no reason. There's no reason. Children don't sound like their adult selves. They don't need to be dubbed over by their adult selves. It's just more work to make it sound weird. Did they really think the audience were that stupid that we wouldn't have got that was Sam? Is that the idea? Like, it's just, I'm assuming it was like just an extra clue if we weren't paying attention. Well, he was talking to his dad, and then he comes in. I think he calls him Sam. He could have just called him Sam if he didn't. But then some <laughs> kid comes in, and, well, the kid's a kid, and Sam's a grown-up, so that can't possibly be our Sam. I, d- I don't know. I'm guessing <laughs> if you're really struggling with the concept of time travel, it yeah. might be complicated. But then you hear Scott Bakula's voice, all makes sense. I think that was <laughs> really um, the ultimate way to try to spoon-feed the mundanes in the audience that might yes. be on, on the fence with this very confusing premise. And still watching. You would have thought they'd have turned off by now, but... I guess I guess not. They had to justify uh, the useless baseball leap. Like I know, I know the baseball leap was to establish the, again. It's it's to establish the show. That's why it's so short and kind of pointless because it's yeah. just saying like he's going to leap into other people. It's not just this one instance. Here's how the format's going to go. But uh, really, the important thing is that he talks to his dad. The baseball part is secondary. Yeah, of course. And one of the weird things, I mean. You tell me if you think this is coincidence. Um, when he first leaps into Tom, he wakes up. He doesn't know anything but his first name. Then they mm-hmm. try to retrieve him. And a, a, this is a weird thing. We can't try to retrieve you until Tuesday. Like, what are they on the Enterprise B? It's not going to be there till Tuesday. Like, <laughs> why do they have to wait till Tuesday? Maybe they're they're getting more power. Maybe they used a lot of power doing it. I mean, I guess. But then when they try to pull him away and you see that 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 floating shot – like he's going into the sky and then he snaps back like a rubber band and he wakes up just like he did in the first scene where he wakes up. But this time he remembers that he was in a farm, uh, that he grew up oh. on a farm in Oak Ridge. I'm wondering yeah. if like sort of the Swiss cheesing kind of reset itself in that moment only to throw it out the window completely. When he gets to the ball player, he remembers Tom, he remembers Peg, he remembers every single thing about the previous leap. Well, he doesn't reset every time. Well, but what makes you think that he would remember them if he can't remember his name? 
So I think he does reset every time. Well, because he just like yeah, I think once. everything that he learns once he's leapt, it's inconsistent what he remembers or not. Yeah. But like he's he hasn't learned his last name yet. But he just went was on that leap. That's why he remembers all of that stuff. Maybe he Swiss hmm. cheese some details we don't know about. But uh, he just hadn't learned his name yet. So I don't think it resets every time. I thought you were getting at the retrieval somehow jogged his memory. Yes, that well that's, um, that's no, what I thought. Yeah. No, it wasn't that it jogged his memory. The retrieval sort of um, re-Swiss cheesed him in a different way so that uh, yeah. maybe he lost something else but now he suddenly remembers that he's on a farm but the fact that yeah, then when he that. does mm-hmm. like the leap the actual leap at the end he can remember everything he just experienced in his previous leap where in the series they've even established that he doesn't remember leaps from one leap to the next it's not like he's building a continuity of memory in his post-leap existence he can still forget leaps. It's all inconsistent, though. Yeah. But yeah, no, you're right. That was what I thought was implied with him snapping back and then remembering that he was in the form of jog something different, to jog something else loose. Yeah. He remembers an uh, interesting detail. I'm sure I brought it up before, but he remembers that his sister Katie married Jim Bonnick, the character from Magnum P.I. Yep. <laughs> it's it's all it connected. <laughs> So that was sort of a, a, a neat thing. And just to go back to, since we're talking about leaping and um, this reminds me of something to go back to, to some of the project aspects. Al says we're in a cavern in New Mexico. Yeah. Now we had, we had sort of um, speculated what the project looked like underground uh, when we were reading the novel, when we were reading Corny Knowledge. And they said that it was an artificial cave system. So this kind of tracks with with all of that and right. the fact that they were underground in season five when Leon went to escape. So obviously Quantum Leap is subterranean in, until you see the glowing mountain. Yeah, that's where all the, the power source is in the mountain part and then underneath is where the project <laughs> But they're they're not all the way underground because there's when uh, at the end of Shock Theater when they get struck by the lightning like there was lightning on both sides right because that's how Al leaped. No, I thought it just came in through the window of the asylum. Holographic lightning uh, on Al's side is what caused that. Somehow, <laughs> sure, the magic magic lightning. I get it. Magic lightning. <laughs> no, yeah, it doesn't make much sense. But yeah, because Al was in the imaging chamber, so where else? Where would it come from? Yeah, I never thought about that. The fact that he does say that they're in a cavern. So yeah, that does establish in canon. Right. Does the mountain only glow when Sam's sleeping? That still doesn't really explain the. The futuristic office block at the opening of most of the season two episodes, but well, I think you need something to show the committee. I don't think it's completely subterranean. I think like it's yeah. like partial. That's what I yeah. think too. I think that the office block is just uh, the facade. Yeah, maybe they do like administration and stuff on that part, <laughs> and then they go to, through the cave to get to the imaging chamber and the the big Lego blocks and stuff. You think that's where that's where HR's based? Yes, going, exactly. Ah, what's what's Al done again this week? <laughs> yeah, that's where they do all the paperwork and stuff, and that's where they meet with you know the bureaucrats and all that. You got to think that there is a contingent of staff in the project that doesn't have the super top secret clearance that you would need. Oh yeah, to get Brenda down. from coding ain't getting in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the supply closet wasn't by the control room, but, but she's coding. She's, she's got to work on Ziggy, so maybe she is. Depends what she's coding. Oh, we know what she's coding. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Brenda. 
I just want to know more about Brenda. I don't think she ever comes up again. <laughs> she doesn't get her own spin-off novel. I mean, it feels like everyone else gets a novel <laughs> that focuses on their entire backstory. It's Brenda. We were missing out on all the Brenda lore. <laughs> Come on, Chris, sort it out. <laughs> Show you her the leap back. What was Brenda doing? I've been waiting for the new idea to hit me. <laughs> Maybe Brenda is one of the like one of the extras that we see. She doesn't get any lines, but Brenda's in there somewhere. We'll we'll find a screen cap of someone and be like, "That's Brenda." <laughs> <laughs> That's your job, Allison. You have all the screen caps. You have all the good screen caps. If anybody can find a Brenda, it'll be you. I have some headcanon about Al in this episode. Go for it. All right, so. Through most of this episode, Al is either drunk or hungover, and he has established a an alcoholic or a recovering alcoholic in the show. So my thoughts are this that he had a relapse because of what happened. And mm-hmm. when he's talking about the game that he was late coming to see Sam for, there was no game. <gasps> he's lying. Oh, so you think that he was just out, out on a bender or passed out somewhere? Yeah, I think he. I think he's having trouble coping with this, and he is uh, not wanting Sam to worry about him. Oh, yeah. that's a nice way to think of it. I mean, you've already established that you think Al's a big giant liar most of the time, anyway. So I think he's a big giant liar. I do think he's a big giant liar, but I think he lies with good intentions. I think like he just doesn't want Sam to know about this stuff. Uh, otherwise, you got to accept that like Al just fucked off and went to a ball game and decided to screw Sam. You know, like but he's um he he does that in this episode. There's an episode later in season one where he's got this whole big plot about his neighbor having a loud car and all that. And to me, it just makes more sense that Al is dealing with other more serious stuff, and he's just a character that just doesn't want to get into that. All right. I mean, I, I think that's a valid reading of the character. It's funny that you you hit upon the um, the Lakers game and the overtime, the playoffs, because mm. in 1999, there was a Lakers game that was a playoff game that went to overtime that many fans have used to cement the date in 1999 back at the project for the first leap. I'm sure it's somewhere in your book, Matt. Yeah, Prelude used the same logic. Um April 14th, 1995 is when he leaps. And then April 18th, 1995 is the Laker game. Although, uh, well, that's that's how I worked it out. The actual game in our reality was May 16th, 1995. Well, why would... Oh, you're going to ask me to explain why yeah. I decided to yeah. ignore that. Well, how could I not ask you to explain? Justify yourself. Right. Sir. Um... <laughs> Oh, no, okay. So, Angels Unaware says that the leap takes place soon after April 1st. Mirror's Edge specifically says it's April 15th, 95. Prelude says that the leap was on a Friday, which means possibly it was the night of April the 14th, 95, which goes into April 15th. All right, so, but your difference between what you call, like, the Quantum Leap universe and our universe is predicated basically on what authors have written in the books, which are not canon. Yeah, but also, the Laker game, at the point that Belisario wrote the script, was not canon. It hadn't happened. 
It wasn't going to happen for like another. No, but what I'm saying is that's that's just a neat, yeah, a neat coincidence. I mean, granted, time works differently for Sam than it does at the project. But if you do the math and go back from 1999 when they do establish the date at the project, uh, you could say it was around 95 when that happened. Yeah, I mean, it, it, for sure, it, it was definitely going to be around about then. But yeah, I I prefer, although. Yes, you're right. Fandom has said, yeah, let's use the the May date for the Lakers playoff. But since there is actual an actual canon source, if we assume the books are canon, that says April 15th, I go with that and just say, yeah, it probably was that. But for whatever reason, uh, that Lakers game didn't take place at the same time in, in our reality. Yeah, I, I grew up with Star Trek and had to ignore the fact that Khan didn't take over the Earth in the mid-90s. I, I'm quite happy with the fact that a baseball game took place a few weeks earlier. And first of all, it's a basketball yeah, game. Well, Lakers, Lakers, the yeah, Lakers are a basketball team. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, then everything you just said's out the window. You know nothing. I genuinely didn't know that. I think I thought it was baseball. I've ever known that that was... <laughs> no, it's you. certainly a basketball game. He j- but Sam just does just say a ball game, which... Usually you say for baseball, but... Yeah. Okay. So, Matt, you're justified in that. And he was playing baseball at the time, so there's a lot to, you know, to confuse you there. There's a lot of balls being thrown around. a lot of balls. Yeah. (laughs) It is really cool that around the date, around the year that it would have happened, there was a game that actually went into overtime with the Lakers and like you could a uh, playoff game. So it's interesting in retrospect. There's a lot of things you can say in retrospect that, of course weren't meant to really mean anything in the episode because it was 1989 in the pilot. They didn't really have a lot of these things established or time hadn't happened. (laughs) (laughs) I just think it's super interesting that you picked up on that one comment of um, Al saying he was at the playoffs where fans have glommed onto that as like super canon to give us an exact starting point for the project. And that's the one that you find him to be an unreliable narrator. And I, I think that's a really neat spin because mm. it doesn't mean that that game didn't oh, happen. Uh, yeah, that like, oh, if Al lied about it, then that doesn't set the date. Right, because most of us just take Al at face value with that comment. He, could, I mean, he could have just been pulling from something that really was happening. Yeah, exactly. That he wasn't really there for. The specific day that Sam leaped really doesn't matter to me. It's interesting, but I'm not like, oh my god, we need to we need to figure out set in stone exactly <laughs> what it was. <laughs> It was Friday, April 14th, 1995. According to one author <laughs> in one book 25 years ago, well, that wasn't canon. Two, two. <laughs> the books are canon. It's fine. Except for the end of Prelude, which doesn't really make any sense, but sure. No. Yeah. We'll get there. It only doesn't make sense because of Tina. Everything else is all right. Right? We'll get to that. We'll I get don't know. That. We'll see when we get to it. I don't remember, but it doesn't really connect. Yeah, we'll, 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 I'm sure we'll pick that apart like crazy. So, well, guys, did you have any other observations about Genesis? Yes. What? Okay, what? (laughs) Okay. Uh, Cool 50s props. I thought they put a lot of detail into uh, establishing this was the 50s, more so than other uh, episodes, although they did use a lot of vintage items and and a lot of period specific stuff but i feel like there was a lot in this like uh down to the shaving cream which they talked about a lot mm. uh the radios there's that Tons. washing machine that peggy kicks 
uh, details like having no stripes on the road. Yeah, that I was. I think that's all very interesting. And also, what says "Hey Boomer" uh, more than "Howdy Doody" being on the TV? Oh yeah, I wrote ominous uh. "Howdy Doody." <laughs> <laughs> what was ominous? That's great. About Howdy Doody playing and Sam just backing away in horror. <laughs> I only know Howdy Doody from this and Back to the Future 3. That's, yeah, shorthand for 50s. It really is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just say Howdy Doody. I mean, it's 50s. It's such a stupid 50s name. Howdy Doody time. Howdy Doody time. Yeah, it's Howdy Doody. <laughs> Did, uh, I, I guess I have to ask you this, Chris. Have you ever seen any Howdy Doody? Was that a thing that was ever on? No, you know how I got to know about Howdy Doody was watching Happy Days in the 70s, they referred oh. to Howdy Doody a lot because Ron Howard was a redhead with freckles. So sometimes they called him Howdy Doody. And um, it was in the cultural zeitgeist. Like I sort of knew what it was, Howdy Doody and Buffalo Bob. There might've been reruns on even when I was growing up, but it wasn't anything that I watched. I knew about it, but I wasn't like a fan of it. That was even way old stuff to me. That was like watching the Mickey Mouse Club from the 60s with Annette Funicello as a kid. I knew of it, but it wasn't my jam. Yeah. I mean, Howdy Doody is one of those things like I've just picked up through reference in stuff that I watch because I watch a lot of old stuff and that was just something very nostalgic to people. But it is it is a cultural touchstone. And very shorthand for the time. Exactly. And one that anybody who lived in that time and place will immediately glom onto. Mm-hmm. That's down to uh, like um the, the the little kid, Mikey. He has like a Davy Crockett pajama set on. Mm. And Davy Crockett was like huge for like kids back then. And he's wearing a Howdy Doody hat when uh, they're fishing. Was it Howdy Doody or Davy Crockett? No, no, because Davy Crockett had the coonskin cap. Oh, okay. No idea what you guys are on about. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Matt. <laughs> that's, that's all right. You do your American thing. Davy Crockett was a fictional character that wore, uh, was he fictional? He was fictional, right? As far as I know, yeah. He wore like buckskin yeah, leathers and a raccoon, and a raccoon hat. hat. He wore a raccoon <laughs> on his head. <laughs> Thus begins and ends my Davy Crockett knowledge. <laughs> So, yeah, there were um, a ridiculous amount of radios in this episode once I started to look for them. And the one in the kitchen that Peggy's listening to changes mm-hmm. from scene to scene. Oh, my God. There's no radio continuity in that kitchen. There are two <laughs> different models that just pop in and out of existence. <laughs> so maybe that's Sam changing history all around them. He changed the radio. Oh, right. Man. So maybe like things are just fluid. He stepped on a bug outside and the radio changed. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that that's when you're talking about props. They did take care to put in a lot of stuff that said, hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? Hey, remember this? And that's exactly what Don wanted. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great just to establish it. You wouldn't want every episode to be like this, but this is an establishing thing. So it just it just engrosses you in the, the time, brings you into that era. Yeah, there was there was another scene um towards the end when Sam is in the X2 trying to get to Mach 3 where Peggy's in the kitchen waiting for the inevitable, waiting for disaster and they're listening to some kind of hearings on the radio as well. I I I didn't catch it, but I'm wondering if that was supposed to be like the McCarthy hearings. Yet another another way to say, "Hey, remember this?" Yeah, yeah or like reading the newspaper, the gossip magazines like Marilyn and all that <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Your favorite line. My boobs are bigger than Marilyn. <laughs> 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 Big as Maryland. 
It was good that they did that to establish a sense of place and equally um, good that they didn't harp on that kind of crap every single episode all the time. Sure. <laughs> yeah, eventually you got stuff to do, but right yeah. now it's just saying like, this is a time travel show. This is the time period. This is what's going on. This is what you're going to be encountering. One thing you guys are, you're big on the ADR and um, you had mentioned earlier, Allison, some of Al's lines in this, like how they were a little bit more racy. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's that weird dub. Yeah, he says something. The Broad and I are off to, to Las Vegas. The moment you touch down, you leap forward. Tom leaps back. And the Broad and I are gone to Las Vegas. Just a second. Just a second. Because I'm sure I picked I knew up on you guys well. would know. <laughs> or one of yeah, you. Yeah, because it seems like. The, yeah, it's very weird. And he's it's just right to the camera close up on his face and all of a sudden in the mid line he's dubbed into saying something else all oh, right okay so the scripted line is the blonde and he says the broad instead and that's because there was a cut earlier in the scene where al says he should be spending the weekend with a very amenable blonde oh that's so why that, they when he it. refers to the blonde it doesn't make sense so Right, okay. Because it makes it seem like he calls her, like, a bitch or something, and they dubbed it right, over to be that's what cleaner. I was wondering. Was it something a little <laughs> bit more, you know, a little less flattering to Al's character? Well, it would be weird if he said, like, the bitch and I will be, like, why would he throw <laughs> that out there? <laughs> but that would be early Al. That would be, that would be truly, like, <gasps> like this is not our Al. <laughs> he, wouldn't, he wouldn't call a woman a bitch. He respects every woman that he's with. <laughs> The Al that we At know. At the time that he's with them. But this is Pilot yeah, he Al. he loves all of them when he's with them. Pilot never, Al could be different. He might, he might say a witch and imply, you know, he would say bitch, but anyway. it's primetime TV. Yeah. So. I really just thought it might be um, because they didn't want Al to be as harsh as maybe he was. But you explained it away in, in a much nicer way. Better for Al's character anyway. I've got another fun dubbing piece here, which I'd forgotten about. But this is... Um, at the end, during the ball game, um, we have all that stuff in slow-mo. You can't hear what Al's saying. Obviously, you can lip-read most of it anyway. But in the French version, they actually dub words over him. <laughs> and if you translate the French back into English, what he's saying is, Wonderful. Run, run, run. Continue. <laughs> First base, Sam. You're almost there. You're almost there. Go. You're going to win. You're going to win. Yeah. You're a champ. Does he do it in slow motion too? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, not that I remember. It was a long time ago. <laughs> I love that the scene at the end too was just—it's just directly from the movie *The Natural*, and that's what it says in the script: "Do the natural." Yes, and that's what they do. <laughs> I've never seen *The Natural*. Does *The Natural* does he strike out and then the guy misses the catch? There's like a lightning strike in a baseball game and all the slow-mo. Okay. At least from what I know. Well, I'm glad that you're bringing up this scene because um, it did another thing that I never really noticed because at this point I'm more tuned into, okay, now they're establishing this is what Quantum Leap is. But Sam doesn't save the day, yet he changes history for the better. This guy um, who he leaped into, the ball player, actually got the hit and flew out to center field, and that was the end of his career. Sam, by striking out, actually did the guy a favor for his career. Even though he he did worse, it turned out to be better than the original history. And I thought that was a neat way for them to establish that, okay, maybe Sam, if he doesn't have the skills of, say, like a major league ball player, although he eventually does, that 
he doesn't necessarily have to go there and win or save the day. He could go there and fail, but still change history for the better just as a fluke. I thought that that was a, a nice wrinkle because it gives him more realistic ways out. He can't possibly do every single thing that the Leapy can do in every episode. Mm. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Yeah. What other ones did you have, Allison? The long flying scenes were a great pee break. Because <laughs> those scenes go on forever. And this is clearly Donald Belisario being like, yes, planes. <laughs> but for someone who is not into planes, eh. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, uh, that, that to me is the part of the episode that, that fell flattest was when they were talking about all that flight stuff. And obviously, Don, we get it. This is what you geek out about. This is what you absolutely love. And you're just writing Black Sheep Squadron <laughs> the movie. But at the same time, it's just like, oh, God, can we can we gloss over some, some of this pile of crap? Please, please. Yeah, but I mean, I imagine people who are really into that stuff appreciated it. And especially because a lot of Donald Belisario's stuff usually has like some sort of military slant to it. So- People who are already Donald Belisario fans probably got into it. Yeah, yeah, more than likely. Um, I, I think that's that's probably like he was writing to his strengths, of course, and that's what he liked. But he was also known for that kind of show. So if you were going to follow it because you were a fan of him, I don't know if people were super cognizant of that back then, but who knows? I think they were. That's the only reason he got the show is because he was such a big name. Otherwise, like no one would have greenlit this show. <laughs> But Donald Belisario was established um, in his television hits, so he was able to do something really out there. And ground it in the stuff that he was probably most popular for. Mm. Yeah, he just did uh, – well, I don't know if it was just before it. I think Magnum P.I. was around then. But um, he'd done Airwolf, which is how he met uh, Deborah Pratt, and that was all about a plane. <laughs> so All right. So. Okay, here's some more notes. All right, the kid who gives Sam the bat at the, the baseball thing. Is Wolfman's got nards? <laughs> Your absolute favorite. <laughs> Wolfman's got nards. Wolfman's got nards is in this episode. So anyone who's a fan of Wolfman's got nards, that kid, he and he's like, "Go do it, Foxy," or something like that. <laughs> Come on, Foxy. Any excuse to drop in the Wolfman's got nards soundbite. Wolfman's got nards. Come on, Foxy. Wolfman's got nards. Thank you, Alice. Yeah, Wolfman's, <laughs> Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> Um, I really loved when Al tells Sam his name. And I can't even remember my name. <laughs> it's Beckett. Sam Beckett. Just the, just the, the power of knowing his name and Al just giving in a little bit that, that showing how close their friendship is. Like, he's like, I, I can't not tell him his name and how much that means to him. And not only that, to be able to call his father. Yeah. And that's, that's really the turning point where Sam realizes just how special this is. And uh, he, he does the, the speech where he says like, who knows what I can accomplish before I'm done. You know, Maybe this quantum leaping isn't such a bad deal after all. Getting a second chance to put things right, to make the world a better place. Who knows what I can accomplish before I'm done. And it's so great to see that just after finishing the series, knowing how far he goes. 
That's true. I, I hadn't juxtaposed that with the fact that he never returned home, but him sort of leaning into it at the end because you know this is going to go on weekly. I just saw that as sort of you needed to do that to say, hey, this is going to be a series. And hey, Sam is not going to be fighting it the whole time and wondering if he's ever going to get home. He might actually enjoy some aspects of it. I never, yeah. I never took it to that nth degree where he actually winds up. That's really neat. Well, I mean, just even if you don't juxtapose it with the last title screen, just thinking about how much Sam accomplishes in the show to watch through the whole show and then to go back to the the very beginning where he realizes like just how powerful this is, how much he can do. True. And he follows through with it. Like he does like so many good things for people. That's our Sam. Aw, now I'm going to weep. <laughs> okay, my my last note, my last note, and it's not as uh, nice as that, but um, the leap out is lame. <laughs> he ju- he drops a pipe out of his mouth at the end. <laughs> y- y- you know, I think it's it's a plausible first leap out. Is it lame compared to how we've established the leap outs in the show? Yeah, it's fine because they again they haven't established it. They weren't they didn't set it up to have that kind of format. And the oh boys. Hadn't been established yet, um, although the, the first Oh Boy in the show was improvised by Scott Bakula, so that all kind of came from him. And that was in, in the first scene when he wakes up in the bed. He does yeah. he does say it. And I think he says it when he's looking in the mirror as the ball player. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not it's not like that was the crescendo. That wasn't the coda for, for each each tease. Mm. And I think that knowing Again, the premise of Quantum Leap and being a fan detracts from some of the enjoyment that you might have gotten coming into this fresh because just him standing in front of a room full of strangers as some kind of authority figure and he has no idea who he is or what he's supposed to be doing or and the pipe falling out of his mouth is – it's sufficient enough to say, what? It, it's it's oh boy without the oh boy. <laughs> I, so I, I don't have a problem with it. It's fine because you're starting into the show and you already have like the, – the premise is the pitch for coming back next week. Um, and then later on in the show, it's like, well, what's going to happen next with Sam? They want to entice you to watch the next thing. But like right now, it's just like, oh, this is great. And then we have – here's an episode of the show now that we're done with the movie. They didn't really set it up to be like – kapow what's going on next because <laughs> otherwise it's like that tells you nothing like he's in i guess that he's a teacher right but i mean it's it's not terribly exciting and it also it's very awkward to just freeze frame mid pipe drop and then credits like it's just like it's a weird segue which they got better at like i i like watching this stuff looking back at it seeing them figure out exactly what was going to work yeah, and I, I think that that's a nice way to segue into final thoughts because I wanted to know, like, does Genesis, uh, in addition to your final thoughts, if you can incorporate, does it hold up to you as a good quantum leap? Does it hold up for you as an episode knowing everything you know in light of the, the rest of the series? Oh, it's great. Mm. It's it's a great opening. It's a great movie. It's great episodes. There's stuff that I goof on about it, but uh, uh, there's a <laughs> lot of shows where you look back at the pilot and you're like, that's kind of crap. Yeah. <laughs> wow, yeah. this is really weird. But this is just, it's just baby steps. It's just the very beginning into it. And it's it's great going back and watching it. And I, I think it holds up yeah. just fine. Okay. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I definitely feel that way now. I, I distinctly remember when I saw it in the, the mid 90s. It's like, come on, this is so slow. Just get on with it. <laughs> um, because I, I was young and stupid. Um, and yeah, now I realize that it's, it's presenting a lot of very 
complex, high-concept ideas. And so it, it has to do it gently, at its own pace, and it does it really well. And you, you instantly like all the characters, even the ones you don't like. <laughs> it's... Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a really fun show. And that teaser is the best teaser for any <laughs> new show ever. It is a hill I will die on. You don't need to die on the hill. What I love about that <laughs> teaser is that, I don't know if you, guys, if you guys noticed this nuance, and maybe because we couldn't know Sam's last name, but it's the only time in the series where you hear Gushy call Sam, Sam, and Al, Al, right, yeah. instead of Dr. Beckett and Admiral Calavici. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's got like this allergy against people's first names. Like he's always got to refer to the. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but um, to get back to what to what you guys said, I I agree with you both. Um, there are some wonky parts, there are some slow parts, but this is the pilot that I wish I could erase my memory of an entire series just so I could see it fresh and discover it anew instead of retroactively applying it to what I already know. Because I think that had I seen this, I would have been blown away by it on its original run in the 80s with no other context. I think it stands out as an amazing pilot. It's well-written. Like you said, Matt, it does take a lot of very complex ideas and high concept things and boils them down to a way that it's actually fun and intriguing to discover as you go along. You thought the mirror thing was weird, but then there's this hologram thing, but then there's this computer thing, but then, you know, this leaping thing, it, it really does an excellent job of setting the foundation for the series. And, um, I think it holds up terrific. I think it's, I think it's just great. It's extremely well produced too. Like, it it feels like a movie, it feels cinematic, and it feels different than uh, than other episodes of the show. And I think it's it's great that it's unique in that way. Well put, well put. And with that, um, I think I'm going to bring this love fest for Genesis to a close. But stay tuned, because we have some news, uh, we have some new patrons, and some feedback. So we will catch you on the flip side. On the latest episode of Fangent. Fangent is what we talk about when we're not talking about Quantum Leap. I'm talking about the wonderful game Animal Crossing. Oh, it's like Angry Birds? <laughs> I was getting drunk in London. Lucky! I know, it was brilliant. <laughs> I saw the monkeys live. I made like a, a Quantum Leap section of my island. Of course you did. <laughs> did you really? I did, yeah. There's like a buttload of early episodes of Doctor Who that are missing. But what's now started happening is there's some teams putting animation in high-definition colour widescreen against the original soundtrack. You know the monkeys don't play their own instruments, right? <laughs> Duh. It'd be like saying to somebody, you know pro wrestling isn't real, right? <laughs> I was seeing the premiere of one of these on a big screen at a cinema in London with about 100 other Doctor Who fans. That's nuts. Plus fandom. There I was, finally, seeing Mike Nesmith sing the songs that I've been waiting to hear him sing for I don't know how many years. That's great. To find out how to hear this and other Patreon exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. That's patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Matt's acting like he hasn't even heard the name. This is like the game of the pandemic. Yeah, I know where I've heard of it. Your Facebook post saying I've just spent (laughs) six hours playing Animal Crossing. That's where I've heard it from. Me too. (laughs) Hi, this is Richard Oakey, and you're listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. 
Hey everyone, we're back. We hope you enjoyed those words. And guys, I have some news. We have new patrons. New patrons for a new year. Hey! So our first new patron is named Diana Williams. She joins us at the $5 Leaper level. Thank you, Diana, for your support. You, Thank you. As a Leaper, Thanks. thank you so much. As a Leaper, you get access to our exclusive Patreon content, which I think the last thing we did was a fangent about the monkeys and Animal Crossing and Doctor Who. And before that, we talked about the Werewolf of Washington. And for all I know <laughs> at this point, the uh, debut segments of our Oh Boy uh, interview series has been posted. That was me talking to Quantum Leap Podcast founder and my good friend, Albert Mark Burge. I almost said Dr. Albert Mark Burge. Did you hear that little hesitation? <laughs> I don't know where like that came from. like you should have a doctor before that. <laughs> yeah. Dr. Albert yeah. Mark Burge. He's, the, the, he's got a doctorate in quantum leap. Yeah, so a lot of good stuff going on over there. Diana, thank you for supporting us at the $5 level. You also get uh, the perks from the $3 QLP book club level. And that means that your official QLP book club bookmark is winging its way through the mails to you as we speak so that you have it just in time to read Too Close for Comfort, which I believe is the next book up in the series. But uh, thank you, Diana. Um, We hope that you enjoy all of the good bonus stuff that you're getting. But Dan is not the only one that's pledged their support. We actually have two returning supporters. The first one is Barry Donovan. Barry was a supporter for a long time. He dropped off and now he decided to come back and join us at the $2 observer level, which means that he gets the shout out on the show. Barry, welcome back to the fold. Welcome back. Gracias. Thanks, Barry. Yeah. Um, You know, if you just go one more pound up, you could get that sweet bookmark, Matt will mail it to you. Barry's from the UK, I believe, because his his pledge says Uh. two pounds. But it comes as two dollars. Maybe maybe it's is three dollars, but Patreon is making a mistake. What's the conversion rate? Can we sneak Barry into the book club? Well, yeah, to (laughs) to be fair, I think most online companies just do one dollar per pound. Which is not the proper conversion rate, but uh, that's just how we Brits get screwed over by American companies. <laughs> if if he is pledging two pounds, that probably is close to three dollars. Well, for right now, we have him as an observer, and we're very happy to have you back, Barry. Thank you so much for your pledge of support. It means a lot to us. We also have another returning supporter. Matt, you know this name. It's a Mr. Ben Kirkham. Oh, hey, Ben. Yeah, thank you, Ben. Not only did he decide to come back and support us on Patreon, he went over the top. He went big. He is now at the producer level pledging $20 a month, which means that he gets his name read in the credits at the end of every show. Ben, thank you so much for- Merci. Yeah. Thank you so much for getting back on board and coming back in such a big way. We really do appreciate it. Um, That means not only do you get all of the bonus content, not only do you get the bookmark, not only do you get that mention on the credits at the end of every show, you get to talk to me eventually about your Quantum Leap fandom (laughs) in another segment of Oh Boy. Oh, heck yeah. Remember everyone, $10 above, I'm coming for you. And you will talk to me about your fandom, whether you want to or not. We need to generate content. You're coming to their door. (laughs) You know what giving us more money means? Committing more time to generating content for us. (laughs) So, of course, I'm joking. You don't have to talk to me if you don't want to, but I can't imagine why you wouldn't want to. But uh, anyway, uh, Ben also sent a little bit of feedback. Shut up, Matt. Ben also... (laughs) It's lovely talking to Chris. Some of us do it voluntarily. (laughs) (laughs) 
Ben also sent a little bit of feedback uh, with his brand new pledge. And uh, if you guys don't mind, we'll do it in our usual round robin fashion. I guess I'll get started. He writes, pleased to be back. I hope you're all well. Working my way through your season five coverage and loving it. Massively disagree about trilogy, but you're all such interesting <laughs> and different characters that it's a pleasure to listen to you. You have such great chemistry. Your goodbye Norma Jean episode is my favorite so far. There's a certain faded quality to the episode. I think Marilyn's loneliness comes across extremely well. She's a bit distant, but also very socially awkward and disconnected from reality. The production worked brilliantly with the script, too. Susan Griffith's performance steals the show, but everything else is on top form, too. An underrated episode. And to my friend Matt, where can I see your edit of the season 5 opening titles? I must put right what the DVDs and Blu-rays made wrong. Best wishes for the new year, Ben. And he gives Triple us three X's. X's. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Thank you, Ben. Kiss, kiss, kiss. <laughs> One for each of us. Yeah, I told Ben that, Matt, you would eventually be posting that at least on the Patreon feed. Yes. And I haven't seen it yet, So, but what gives, man? Uh, yes, I will. I just have to get around to it. <laughs> I will do that this week. <laughs> would you care to describe what he's talking about with your edit? Yeah, so this is... Um, actually, there's a couple of different edits. Uh, mostly, it's just inserting uh, an extra shot of the clouds at the beginning and then shunting everything else up about half a second um, so it matches as it was originally broadcast. But I've gone back to the HD source for every clip, so I've not just moved everything up, I've actually gone back to the episodes to boost the quality by effectively recutting it from scratch. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, I know, but that's me. <laughs> And then Lee Harvey Oswald had slightly alternate clips in a couple of places as well, So, um, which in the DVDs and Blu-rays, it's just standardised uh, to match the rest of season five. So I've done two versions of it. The, the Lee Harvey Oswald one is uh, is out there as well, and I'll, I'll put them both up on Patreon. Awesome. We also have a YouTube channel. Maybe we could put it up on there as well. So I barely ever use the YouTube channel. The only time I even realised <laughs> it existed was when I needed to post the bookmark video. And I said, oh, yeah, we have a YouTube channel. I think Albie puts stuff on there, like, <laughs> occasionally. I think uh, – <laughs> but it's maybe the first and last time I've ever utilized it for the show personally. So that'll be a good place to put it. We can put it on both platforms. How's that? Sounds good. All right. Um, not only uh, did Ben send that wonderful message – thank you, Ben. We're glad that you enjoy our season five coverage. We're not wrong about trilogy, by the way. You're wrong about trilogy. <laughs> but <laughs> Ben also – is the hero of the hour because if anybody out there – and I've been getting emails about this. I guess people have been going back and finding the podcast and getting through the episode to episode. Apparently, the great Spontini was missing. Now, going back a ways, we had a massive server crash and Albie lost a ton of the episodes. So as a result, for a couple of months, the first several Maybe the first dozen or two episodes were not available on the feed because they were on the old server and we were still recovering everything. It turned out that Hayden had a backup of just about every episode. We were able to reconstitute the entire feed, the episodes anyway, except for the great Spontini. Well, guess who came swooping in like the Batman to rescue us all? <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ben Kirkham had... The great Spontini on a hard drive. He was just tooling around and he noticed Aww. that he had downloaded it at some point. 
So now if you're going through and you were waiting with bated breath to hear the return of the great Spontini as covered by Albert Burge and Heather. And I think that the long box team was on that episode. The uh, thinking outside the long box, Juan and Gabe were also on that episode. It was like live from Juan's basement. That was the, uh, the first episode I was involved with the podcast. I edited the interview. <laughs> oh, did you? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. So your first contribution was behind the scenes. Yeah. Before all the stuff with the lost ending, I'd, uh, I'd messaged the Twitter account asking, uh, if you guys needed help. And, uh, Albie said that they needed, that you guys needed help with, um, with editing. So yeah, I edited the, uh, Spontini interview. Who was the, uh, who was the interviewee on that one? I, I'm spacing on the actor's name, the magician, the mirror image magician. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. He was talking about how he did the magic and everything. Yeah, yeah. It was real cool. I'm glad that episode's been restored. It was a good episode. Yeah, it was. A nice long episode, just like the olden days. But they're all good episodes. Yes, they are. They are. Well, you know, until we took over. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you, Ben. Um, You're earning your producer stripes already by um, bringing content back to the podcast. So Yeah, thanks so much, man. We're really, really happy that you were able to find that. And we're really glad to have you back on board as a supporter on Patreon. So um, stay tuned for more great content over there on the Patreon feed. But we haven't just heard from patrons this time around. We also received an email from a listener named Kyle LaFoon. And we are still getting messages from the listeners in the fan community about what they think about mirror image. So, uh, I know Kyle, we missed you on the mirror image wrap up special where we did the feedback for all the fans. I wanted you to have your say. So I will begin. Kyle writes about my mirror image experience. First, I want to thank you for your podcast. I have enjoyed every single episode. You and your team are fun together and are sincerely interested in sharing the show details and your own experiences. Thanks for handling your show that way. I was a second of four kids in my family and the straight-A student that had to get everything just right. My youngest brother was born with Down syndrome, so the Jimmy episodes were especially touching to me. I discovered Quantum Leap when I was 14 and just after things went a little caca in my family life with my adopted dad. When the Mirror Image episode first aired, I wasn't able to see it. I was out of the house, but my dad gave a terse synopsis that it was just weird. (laughs) When I finally got to see it, I ached with the realisation that Sam would never go home, and seeing him help Beth stay lonely but faithful to Al. Recalling Al's pain in a prior episode where he had begged Sam to help in this regard made this especially touching. Your episode about this does the full experience justice. Thank you for that. Your appreciative fan, Kyle. Wow, I'm just saying that we do justice to the experience of the emotion of Al never returning home, and... Beth's loneliness. Sam never returning home. I'm sorry. (laughs) Doing justice to Sam never returning home and uh, Beth's loneliness uh, and Al's pain. Mm. And I I think the show pretty much did that for us. (laughs) But yes, I'm happy if you want to conflate us with all that amazing quantum leap goodness. That's fine by me. (laughs) I think think he's saying he appreciated that we weren't like, it was just weird. (laughs) Actually talked about it. You know, the goods and the bads. That would have been a the, short episode. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad to hear this uh, this feedback, too, about um, other episodes that really uh, touched Kyle mm. and uh, people who, who had personal experiences that 
they related to with episodes like Jimmy. I think it just uh, reinforces how special this show is. Mm. Yeah, and I think I think that also is a testament to why it endures. Because even after all these years, uh, the themes that they touched on are so timeless that yeah. they still touch people. When you watch it, it doesn't feel like you're watching a show from the 80s. Well, anyway, after season one, it doesn't feel like you're watching a show from the 80s. I mean, when when you're watching um, like other shows from around the time and then you watch Quantum Leap, it really does strike me how uh, people have called the show woke, how woke the show was. Because <laughs> there really is a True. lot of stuff in there that they didn't have to do, but they did. Yeah. You know, like it was very yeah. uh, atypical of that time and some of their, their uh, how progressive the show was. Essentially, Quantum Leap embraced the classic uh, role of science fiction in literature and in society, which is to hold a mirror up to current day and explore themes that were, I guess, way back when science fiction was first, you know, uh, hitting the scene, things that were taboo that you couldn't discuss in mainstream stuff by couching it in fantastical terms. And that's always been where the genre has lived. And I think that Quantum Leap really picked up that standard and carried it a lot further than any show did uh, that you could say is comparable for the time. When you think of other sci-fi shows or fantastical shows of the same era, you get things like Knight Rider. You get things that are just <laughs> like 80s Stephen J. Cannell Adventure of the Week shows. That's what I always think of. It, it was the sort of the standard of TV at the time. And I remember growing up like Thinking like, how can the A-team get into these adventures every week? I didn't watch the A-team, but <laughs> it's just samey, samey. It's it's always like this. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize, like, how can they write these shows? How can you fill a season with the same exact stories every week? Quantum Leap didn't do that. And really, that's why it endures. So, you know, we're, we're happy that um, you found the podcast and that you're loving it, Kyle. And, you know, we're just happy to be part of that legacy that Quantum Leap has built and the, the special place that it holds not only in fandom, but I think as a cultural touchstone for so many people. So anyway, if you would like to be like Kyle or like to be like Ben and get in touch with us at the podcast, there are many ways that you can do so. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Quantum Leap Pod, and you can go that extra mile and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Quantum Leap Podcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And Matt, speaking of upcoming episodes, tell us what's next. Well, it's very exciting. We're already going to be delving into the, uh, the background lore for one of our favorite characters. Book two is too close for comfort, uh, our, our Al novel. And it's, yeah, it's going to be really fun talking about that one. They should have called it Too Close, Too Comfort, just the number yes. two. <laughs> Definitely with the numbers, yeah. <laughs> this was before the Fast and the Furious, so you know, Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, yeah. Too Close, Too Comfortable. It could have at least been like TWO, Close for Comfort, <laughs> do the old uh, sequel standard when it's like, they, they do the like Teen Wolf 2, T-O-O, yeah. subvert it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just turn that on its head, right? Now, yeah. That, that would have been – it would have been ahead of its time just like the series was. Anyway, um, shall we read the cover blurb? Go for it. 
Leaper, beware. The future you alter may be your own. When Dr. Sam Beckett leaps into the middle of the men's encounter group circuit 1990, he meets Al. Not the holographic <laughs> Al from the near future, but a younger, soul-searching Al, beating his naked chest in a mock tribal quest for his primitive nature. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, there's one more line, I promise. It all seems pretty funny to Sam, except for the fact that his mission could make or break the Quantum Leap project for all time. And all is in all caps, so you know that the stakes are high in too close. Serious. Serious business. (laughs) Now, hang on. I'm not clear from the way that blurb read. Is Al beating Al's chest or is Sam beating Al's chest? Or is Sam beating his own he's chest? He's got to revive him. He's he's pulled him out of the ocean. He's a lifeguard. Yes. And he's, ah, live! <laughs> uh, you know, as someone who is in the middle of reading this book, I feel like it's a little misrepresentative about the comedy angle of, the, yeah. <laughs> of this story. Yeah. To be fair, I think it's a little bit misrepresentative of how much Al is actually uh, in this plot. <laughs> to but... be honest, yeah, I guess we'll get into it, but yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Accurate, but a little a little bit of a lie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Gotta sell them books, folks. Yep. Yeah. Anyway, we will get into that and I'm sure a whole bunch more on the next episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. Until then, I have been Christopher D. Philippus. I've been Alison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Beating our chests! (laughs) (laughs) Our own or each other's? (laughs) Your choice, man. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden, Charles Allen Gossard, and Ben Kirkham are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit Baronspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. That should be plenty. All right. Welcome to the ASMR version of the Quantum Leap podcast. <laughs> Oh boy. <laughs> Sponsored by Schnick and Schnick Funeral Parlor. <laughs> when you want somebody to whisper to you like you're at a funeral. You, you had me at HD Scott Bakula. Does does he get his nipples out? <laughs> oh. I'm not sure it's worth it. Please tell me you guys are recording. Oh yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I'm recording now. Oh well. Uh, that's all right. You can just get just get my side of the conversation saying I need Scott's nipples. That one's just for us. <laughs> you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com at Facebook. You can follow us at facebook.com. <laughs> <laughs> How many times have you done this? You get it right every time. I just you know what I was looking at the word quantum leap as I <laughs> at said facebook.com. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a cup of coffee, Al. Coffee. <laughs> Thank you.
Wonderful. Run, run, run. Continue. Go. First base, Sam. You're almost there. You're almost there. Go. You're going to win. You're going to win. Yeah, you're a champ.